versus Marvel. It's Bill versus versus Marvel. There was an idea to bring together a set of remarkable podcasters to see if they could become something more, to see if they could work together when we needed them, to rewatch the films we never could. Dun, 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 dun. Hello and welcome back to Bill vs. the MCU. I am not Bill. Say hi, Bill. I'm Bill. Hello. I am your host, Pop Break Podcast Editor Alex Marcus. Last month, we said so long to Phase 1 of the MCU and our epic year-long rewatch of the entire Marvel Studios-produced Marvel Cinematic Universe Each and every month, we focus on three or four films from the first four phases of the MCU, reminiscing about our first watches, reflecting on our latest viewings, and considering the wider multiverse ahead. This week, we bask in the sweet Avengers afterglow by embarking on our first episode of Phase 2, with stops at Iron Man 3, Thor The Dark World, and Captain America The Winter Soldier. Bill, with Phase 1 in the books, how are you feeling? Uh, I mean, pretty good. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm very excited because we move, you know, move past Avengers and we start getting into more of the Infinity War stuff. Uh, but we had to make some regrettable stops along the way, unfortunately. And then one well, amazing stop. Yeah, one or two. One or two regrettable stops that we certainly will discuss. Um, and then, of course, the best film in this list Thor The Dark World, but we'll get into it. Um, Just kidding. Uh, As alluded to just a moment ago, we're going to be starting off with Iron Man 3, released May 3rd, 2013, written and directed by Shane Black, uh, co-written by Drew Pierce, uh, and starring, once again, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, a.k.a. Tony Stark. Bill, uh, we're going to be talking in a minute about what this movie is about, but before we do, I want to remind you of some of the fun people who joined the MCU with this uh, latest installment, and this is kind of where, and that's in our segment, Fury's Notebook, and this is kind of where Fury's Notebook really gets kicking, because, you know, phase one, we're just meeting everybody, but in phase two and beyond, we're meeting new people that are getting added into the mix, and sometimes uh, they're only here for a minute, and sometimes they pop up in the most unexpected places later on, uh, but... I'm excited to welcome into the MCU this this week uh, Guy Pierce as Aldrin Killian, uh, Rebecca Hall as Maya Hansen, uh, Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin, a.k.a. Trevor, uh, Ty Simpkins, of course, as the adorable nine-year-old Harley Keener. Everyone remembered his last name was Keener, don't lie. Um, James Badgedale, uh, famous star of Rubicon to maybe only me, um, playing Savin, who doesn't have a last name. And of course, I uh, a name. <laughs> he's just mostly has a, has a cool look and that's all we really need. Um, and then of course, you know, all time great character actor, Miguel Ferrer as I believe nefarious vice president. I don't I think he really needs to have a name beyond that. <laughs> oh, don't forget we have William Sadler as President Ellis. I don't think we had him before. We didn't have him before. This is his first introduction. He will pop up as the president in um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. also uh, in a couple of seasons of that show. I don't really think we see him ever again, he is, though. He is referenced in the third movie we were talking about. Yes, and that's pretty much where it ends. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm kind of glad that I, I'm glad that this movie... <laughs> 
featured the president of the United States. And I'm glad that no other movies in the MCU does, because uh, I don't know if that's really I think only this movie could pull that off. But uh, we'll get into why in a minute. But first, can you please, Bill, do your best Michael Pena impression and give us a rundown of the plot of Iron Man 3 in Luis Story Corner? Yeah. So just to let everyone know, I watched this over four separate viewings uh, due to personal reasons. Nothing bad. It's just work and life. So I'm going to do my damnedest here. So this is obviously taking Iron Man 3 obviously takes place after the events of Avengers. And one of the main um, arcs in this movie is Tony. uh, I'm just going to call Tony Storm, but that is a female professional wrestler. Tony Stark is dealing with the uh, a great start (laughs) sorry you're gonna when we get to thor the dark world you're gonna hate mine it's gonna be like this movie blows uh it's just so he is uh uh, dealing with the after the mental and emotional after effects of the events of new york city uh and he has spent a lot of his time toiling and building new suits in his basement meanwhile around the world a terrorist known as the mandarin is uh, hijacking television signals throughout the world uh showing his terroristic events throughout the world often threatening the president of the united states um but maybe the Mandarin isn't what we all thought he was, because in walks a very charismatic man from Tony's past, who is a bit of a dweeb, known as uh, was Aldrin it? Killian. I was going to call him Aiden Killian because it's we were right after St. Patrick's Day and I'm wearing green, uh, who uh, has the, who is uh, an old associate of Pepper's as well. Turns out he is, has some nefarious, um, nefarious dealings and happy. Our uh, our beloved chauffeur, played by John Favreau, is is on to him. He starts trailing some of his heavies, including um, James Badgedale from that short-lived AMC series you mentioned before, Rubicon. And uh, Happy is almost killed by a soldier who explodes, or a, a a person who explodes, and it is now up to Tony Stark to figure out what happened and why his friend almost died. And it is finds out he is this person was connected to the mandarin tony stark calls out the mandarin and it all out and gives him his home address which is never a good idea especially when you live on a cliff and the mandarin has helicopters that blow up his entire seaside manor uh, god damn it tony uh tony ends up escaping but somehow his flight plan takes him to tennessee uh and he ends up meeting this young boy who helps kind of reclaim his spirit as well as encounter many bad guys along the way um and it turns out there's an international conspiracy to assassinate the president uh and it turns out that our boy uh killian is behind it and that the mandarin isn't actually a terrorist he is a cockney accented actor who they found doing terrible things, according to a quote from him, uh, on the streets of Miami for drugs. And things so they, and doing things in the street that men should not be doing. There's no two ways about it. Exactly. So it turns out the Mandarin is just a front for Killian and his his uh, operation. This operation is extremist. And that is, uh, we find out, is about the regeneration of limbs and that actually brings us back to the rebecca hall character which we're introduced to in the beginning of the film in a flashback to new year's eve 1999 and um john favreau looking like john travolta in pulp fiction which is a nice little ode there uh and it turns out her um her invention extremists 
helps regrow limbs and uh, she teams up with uh, Killian. And of course, he weaponizes it and um, ends up working with the vice president to essentially overthrow the government. And it's up to Tony and the newly christened Iron Patriot, a.k.a. War Machine, a.k.a. Don Cheadle, the greatest man alive, to save the day. And that they do. And that's what happens when you watch a movie over four days, guys. Sometimes the details a bit fuzzy. I think you hit most of the main points uh, pretty well. Um, you forgot the giant um, bunny rabbit, and I think that the giant, uh, well-endowed bunny rabbit, and I'm kind of surprised by that. But <laughs> it was over four days. It was a, it was a long week. Uh, also, I'd like to just mention if you've ever seen a Shane Black movie, this is the most Shane Black movie there ever was. Yes, it was set in California. Yes, it was set during Christmas. And yes, there was a big shootout in a boatyard. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yep. And there's like a kind of self-reflective um, na- voiceover na- narration throughout the film, which is good, or at least bookending the film, right? We make our own demons, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so I guess, well, we're going to go into, in a minute, uh, our next segment, which is Cap's Deep Freeze. But before we do that, I'm just kind of curious, what is your relationship with Shane Black? Because he is, like, all over this movie. Well, I mean, first time I ever saw Shane Black was probably the time a lot of people saw Shane Black was in the movie Predator. If you don't remember him, he's the guy with glasses reading a comic book. Um, he also, I mean, he wrote uh, Lethal Weapon 2, and he wrote uh, one of my favorite um, cult classic um Caper films, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, starring the aforementioned Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer and Michelle Monaghan. And um, so, yeah, I've always enjoyed Shane Black. I didn't see The Nice Guys, even though Al, my co-host on the Socially Distance podcast, keeps telling me I desperately need to watch it, but I will one day. I've seen parts of it. Um, which <laughs> You'd is, probably like it. I mean, I've seen, from what I've seen, I enjoy it. Uh, you know, Shane Black's always done some good stuff, and I think he did um, Predators, I want to say, or the new Predator, one of the new Predator films. He did The Predator. The Predator, which was, that was a choice. Uh, not set during Christmas time, so obviously no. a big a big L for Mr. You'll Shane. Be, you'll be surprised to learn that The Nice Guys is actually set in L.A. and during Christmas time, which is a real right. weird departure well, for that's him. That's why The Predator didn't work, because none of that was, <laughs> none of that was apparent. It's true. Um, so you know, listen, you 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 bring the, what brought you to the dance. Yeah, you don't deviate from what works, man. You just can't try any offense on your 58th play, man. You just got to keep going with what's working. Thanks. That's, Thanks for that's that. sports, right? Great, Bill. That's sports. Well, first off, I mean, you know sports. You'll be on our Moneyball podcast. <laughs> I know sports a little bit. <laughs> you know the Yankees, so I know the Yankees. Yeah, and I knew a lot about baseball in the year 2006, but you know, that was a long time ago. <laughs> first time to watch the Yankees. Um, but yeah, Shane but anyway, Black. I was okay, like so Shane Black. I was like, yeah, I I think that that's interesting. I actually just checked him out to make sure that I had this right. He's actually he's he wrote the screenplay for all. For Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 3, he contributed to uh, the story for Lethal Weapon 2, but didn't actually write Lethal Weapon 2, and he had nothing to do with Lethal Weapon 4. Um, no but he also, direct, he also wrote the screenplay for Last Action Hero and Last Boy Scout, which are movies that people yep. have differing opinions about. And and yeah, he's uh, he even uh, gets credit for the Lethal Weapon TV show, though he had nothing to do with that either. Um, remember when there was a Lethal Weapon TV show? But anyway, yeah, that is way do. besides the point. Remember we were going to be tight and I bright on this one? Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a thing, all right. 
Yeah, so I had no real familiarity with him beforehand. Like, I've heard about him plenty, you know, a lot, but I never watched any of his movies before Iron Man 3, so, because uh, they're yep. just, like, not the kind of movie that I usually watch, but, You've never watched you know, maybe one day I'll watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. You would like that, and did you watch the first Lethal Weapon? No, not seen any Lethal Weapons. I have seen The Nice Guys, and I thought it was okay. Probably I liked it less than most people, but I did still like it. I think he gave it four stars, so it's not uh, an insult. Watch the first Lethal Weapon. I'll just say, just watch one of them. If you're going to watch one, watch the first one. Is that the one with um, Danny DeVito? You mean Joe Pesci? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Joe, Pesci is two, Joe Pesci is in all of them but the first one, so that's why I'm saying watch the first one. But in any case, the reason why I'm asking about Shane Black is because his it was kind of a big deal that he signed oh, on to sure. do this movie. He's kind of after Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which... A lot of people give credit for helping get Robert Downey Jr. in through the front door for Iron Man in the first place, because that was kind of like he made a movie with his friend when not a lot of people wanted to make movies with him. Um, right. And only a couple of years before he got cast in the original Iron Man. So it was kind of like, you know, we want to kind of like John Favreau doesn't want to direct these movies anymore. He wants to go on and, and do other stuff. He's busy making a movie about a food truck and stuff. So uh, where he just gets to have romantic relationships with the world's most beautiful women um and uh yeah so so he was too busy that's why he's only kind of he's got an extended cameo in this movie he plays kind of a pivotal plot role but doesn't really have a lot to do he kind of vanishes for the vast majority of it so they brought on shane black because he's kind of like robert downey jr's guy and he was going to kind of bring a new vibe to the movie and that was what i remember most about my first viewing of this back in 2013 and uh, where it was really kind of like, that was the story. It was like, wow, Shane Black's making a Marvel movie. What's that going to be like? Are they actually going to let him have personality? Are they going to kind of bring out the more kind of like grimy side of Robert Downey Jr.? And I think, you know, it's Shane Black making a, a Marvel movie. And I think that's how I felt at the time. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's still really enjoyable. And I remember really, I walked out of it and I remember feeling like, the first two thirds of it worked really well. I thought the political ambitions of it were really interesting, and I felt like it kind of like loses me at the third act. Um, in the yeah. years since, I've definitely grown to enjoy it more, um, and the third act has bothered me less and less over time. But I'm curious, Bill, what is your uh, deep freeze? Your first experience with this film? It's this. It, it was last week. I did ah, not, did so not, we finally hit a movie, hit. movie that is we were watching for the first time. Yeah, so 2013 was a, a horrible year for the Bodkin. Uh, I was out of work, and uh, so it was like, movies are not, and I just bought a house like a few months prior, so it's like, yeah, you know, stuff like movies were not <laughs> stuff I could do. Uh, but <laughs> I, you know, coming off Avengers, I was like, okay, Iron Man 3, I was I was let down by Iron Man 2, but I like Iron Man 1, I like Robert Downey Jr., I like Shane Black, and I, I don't remember this, but, like, there was a lot of negativity that came, like, a lot of people didn't like this movie at first. It like, had mixed reviews. I feel like the people did. who people who typically didn't like Marvel movies or were down on Marvel movies by the time the Avengers came out had generally favorable things to say yeah. about this movie, and people who really liked Marvel movies tended to have less favorable things to say about this movie. You know what this was? This was it felt like, and especially in hindsight, I'm not going to give too much away. Is this was the uh, Marvel Jackie Brown, or yeah, or the Marvel, uh, you know, where it was like. 
the movie referring to quentin tarantino's filmography for yes the uninitiated pulp fiction was the big movie he makes jackie brown after and everyone's like ah this movie really that's your choice to go for this much smaller movie and it, it it feels some ways like that uh but uh but then in hindsight you know remove it from you know for that movie like 25 years essentially and this movie um math Almost nine I, years yeah nine years the narrative has changed where it's like oh well this is a pretty good movie a lot more people i think like it now than then because this yeah. was, because you're not viewing it as this is the movie after avengers you're moving you're saying oh this is just iron man 3 That's although it is it is one of the highest grossing mcu films to date um because it really benefited from that avengers bump sure um obviously iron man alone is a very successful film and iron man 2 made way more money than you would think it would given its quality but the uh, iron man 3 was like next level and was much much more on par with what the original avengers did because people were thinking about it as a sequel to the avengers which in in a lot of ways it literally is uh but without all of our friends right and i think that was kind of the balancing act that marvel was trying to do with this phase two was this idea of like well we want our heroes to be able to team up when they need to but we want them to be able to carry their own solo movies without having too much crossover in those and I know, like, Kevin Feige was, was out in the press a lot during this period saying things like, well, you know, like, it's kind of like we look at the individual uh, franchises as, like, the character books of a comic yeah. book where, like, Iron Man has his own book, but then there's a crossover once a year where he teams up with everyone else. But when he's not teaming up with them, he's carrying his own stories and nobody's asking where's Thor or why isn't the Hulk helping out. Um, I think what they learned through the kind of bumpy reception to a lot of these uh, phase two movies was that people like it when the characters team up. And so maybe lean into that and and just expand your budget because you're going to make the money anyway, so you could pull it off. And I think we'll see kind of a transition from this phase two philosophy into phase three, where there's a lot more kind of crossovers and people jumping franchises and stuff but in this in in these first two really movies like the 2013 releases iron man 3 and thor the dark world it was very much like how can we kind of tell a more character focused story on our lead and kind of block out the rest of the world that we just spent all this time creating and i think a lot of people who love the avengers were a little bit disappointed by that approach like i remember feige kept saying in the press like oh we wanted to kind of tell a story where tony doesn't have his suit and He's kind of like back on his heels and he has to kind of just like come up with stuff on the fly and and he's and he like gets kind of depowered in that way so that way he can kind of build himself up again and i think what a lot of people at the time felt was like but we like him when he's in his suit can't we just see him in his suit (laughs) yeah it's like can he do iron man things it's a very insular movie it's very much like it could it exists on its own and it's just like, well, that's not what we want. We just saw, like, the ultimate team up, and now it, we go back to this, like, Tony Stark has PTSD, and you're like, well, that's not the movie I want to see. Although, you know, nine years later, it's the movie I want to see. You know? Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Yeah. is like, now, moving on into our next segment, the Heimdall Memorial Hindsight Corner, where we reflect upon uh, these films for our current watch. I think one of the best things about this film in rewatch, now that we have 31 Marvel movies instead of seven when this movie was released, is the fact that like we have a lot of other movies where Iron Man is doing Iron Man stuff. So it's cool to have this kind of diversion where 
it's really just kind of inside his head and dealing with like real psychological issues and kind of playing with some political ideas in a way that's a little feels a little bit not safe for a Marvel movie. And like it's so it kind of has this really kind of interesting diversion quality to it that now compared to before. And I think that's where I'd like to start off our conversation is that like I think that that is part of what makes this movie play better today than it would have in 2013. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. It's it's so much more of an interesting movie that when you look back on it, because we now have so much knowledge of what Tony ends up doing, what the, his fate. And my favorite parts of this movie are it's just how and it, it really is more of a, as heightened and as wild as this movie gets. I mean, we get an Iron Legion, you know, battling soldiers that are have like flames coming out of their like limbs and eyes is that. We really explore how in the so what year did Iron Man one come out? Just remind me. Two thousand eight. So you know within a five year period of this is Tony going from playboy bazillionaire arms dealer essentially to a superhero, and now you know we saw in Iron Man two where he was dealing with like I might die. Okay, this is a problem I can fix, and he's he works to fix the problem. But now it's just like I have this emotional work to do and there's nothing externally i can do i can't just party i can't just be flip make you know quit machine i can't just so he's trying all these things just to get out of his own head and i'm like wow that is a really deadly accurate portrayal of how a lot of people deal with mental health issues i can speak from experience it's just like okay i'm just gonna uh, i i can figure my way out of it or i'm gonna ignore it or i'm just gonna joke about it i'm just i'm not gonna do the emotional work for it i'm gonna busy myself with physical work and now tony has to actually do that work because he realizes one this is really affecting me and two i almost he almost kills pepper at one point because of his his issues and he's like i have to change myself because she's the most important person in my life. And he really realizes that more than ever, that how important she is to him. And that's really interesting. And to see Robert Downey Jr., you know, on the anniversary of me having my worst panic attack of my life, seeing Robert Downey Jr.'s care, you know, seeing Tony Stark go through that, I'm like, oh yeah, like I understand this. This is definitely a movie you watch when you're 40 and you're like, oh, I've been there. I've had anxiety yeah. <laughs> But it's, it, I like the less glib version of Tony Stark because it's just, it humanizes him more. And especially when we see later on, a lot of the sacrifices and the heaviness we see in civil war. I know I'm jumping ahead. I always jump ahead to other movies where things get more serious with Tony. I think this really grounds, like this really introduces you to like, Hey, Tony has a serious side. He's not just the playboy billionaire who's just, you know, a joke a minute. And I like that part of it and stripping him of his armor and having him to like lo-fi figure out how to be Iron Man. Um, I love how he just has to go to like this local hardware store and like Jerry rig, like an Iron Man, like uh, mitten <laughs> essentially glove to shoot James Badgedale. Or he, you know, puts like these things together to go assault and take out all these bodyguards uh, of the Mandarin. Like he has to do everything in a really low tech and like, rebuild himself to the point of becoming iron man and becoming his true self again he has to rebuild himself which is a huge thing if you if you've gone through depression or anxiety you have to you have to rebuild yourself and have these mental and emotional tools but you have to 
You can tell I went to therapy today. You have to have these <laughs> physical tools. To, you know, he has that as well. So I think that's really cool that he's able to do that. And it's also like his relationship with other characters, especially Rhodey, I think is much better. This is like, I think their best relationship. Oh, because, absolutely. And yeah. it's and it's better. And I like that. Like, and, and again, that plays to other movies and how important that is. And, um, yeah, because yeah. I think in Iron, you know, in the first Iron Man, it's obviously a different actor playing Rhodey. It, it, with the, they have a different dynamic, and that worked better for me than it did for you. We're on record talking about that. But when Don Cheadle comes in in Iron Man Two, he definitely like there's a different dynamic. They're trying to build something, but that movie doesn't have enough time for anything because it's just trying to do way too much. So it's a it's an okay introduction, but this movie is the movie that really establishes their dynamic in a way that you feel invested enough in to then be used as shorthand for the entire rest of the MCU, right? If you didn't have this, like it would be very hard for some of the more emotional beats that get played later between them to really pay off in the way that you need them to, because like this is the movie that really grounds that relationship in all of the different ways that that relationship works. Like it's fun. It's exciting. They have this good camaraderie. There's like a little bit of a low status, high status thing that no, but they don't take it too seriously. And they work really well together as well. They're working in concert the whole time when they're together on screen. And I think all of that really pays off. And Tony comes off as a a bit of a dweeb at points. Like when he tries to shoot out the light and Don Cheadle, you know, Rhodey just looks at him like, that was terrible. Like, (laughs) it's just like Tony is always like, he's the coolest guy in the world. Of course he can get this done. And it's just like, you know, he he really can't get that done. But um, they also strip a lot of what we hated about Iron Man 2. It's like, there's no ACDC. There's no flashiness. There's no rock and roll. It's just like. There's no, like, for, I mean, there's certainly twists and turns in the plot, but there's none of the kind of cheap contrivances that Iron Man 2 tried to use to generate a lot of attention. Like, Tony and Pepper spend so little time talking at all in Iron Man 2 because they have to just kind of, like, keep them separate because if they weren't keeping them separate, then there's no way that Tony wouldn't have told her what was going on by then. So, like, you just need them to be completely apart. And that's such a bad choice, obviously, because they have such great chemistry. Here, yeah. like, right away, you get the sense that Tony has been closed off to his to his feelings and not super honest, necessarily, to Pepper. But Pepper clearly all knows everything that's happening, like, already, because she's living with him. She's invested in that relationship, so she knows without him having to tell her what's going on what's going on and then we get the scene right at like the very start of the movie of him then telling her what's going on and she gets to be supportive and try to help him and then has to set some boundaries like you talked about when there was danger involved and like it's just such a better more mature understanding what a relationship between two people who've known each other like their whole lives and are together in their 40s would be like instead of just like i'm mad at you so i'm not gonna talk to you for the next three months <laughs> You're like okay what <laughs> so it's an all like i think the movie really benefits from that they still don't share that much screen time together no. but it does you don't notice it in the same way because they feel so connected and they feel like they're on the same page even though they're going through their own kind of journeys for a lot of this film even the part where he like it programs like the the Iron Man suit to like um, you know envelop her to protect uh-huh. her, I don't think he would have done that in the first two movies. He would have been like found a way to do it himself and like ah oh, I saved the day. Whereas now he's like maybe I can't save the day, so I'm gonna build in these things to protect instead of just being the hero. I'm going to be a partner and being like protective and like actually because I care. 
You know, and it's not just and that's almost the point of the beginning where he just kind of tosses people aside in the beginning. He does that with Rebecca Hall, does that with with Guy Pierce. And I like how that comes to bite him in the ass. Like yeah. maybe if he didn't wasn't a douche, he would have like maybe none of this would have happened. You know what I mean? So Yeah. And the movie I think the movie is smart about if it's about his inner turmoil, right, and it's about his PTSD over being in the wormhole and the Avengers and all of that, it's smart enough about the character to also give anchors to other issues about, like, in his past to and make that be part of what the story is. Because otherwise it would feel too shallow, the idea of, like, well, one, like, very severe thing happened to him, and that's, like, the, the entire reason why he's a mess right now. It's like, well, no, like, when something that traumatic happens, it also brings up a lot of other stuff that you've been ignoring and pushing away and then it all hits you at the same time like that's real that's so somebody who's went you feel like this is written by someone who's gone through this sort of experience not literally this experience but metaphorically this experience (laughs) and i think it benefits from that it has that emotional depth and, and nuance that you wouldn't expect necessarily in a movie like this yeah, and and, and the, it, it's a great swerve, too. Like, that's the other thing that's really cool about this is, like, while we're doing all this really good emotional character work, we have the Mandarin, who, if you know anything about comic books, you know, he's a legit foe of Iron Man. Like, he's a he's legit... The, he's, like, the Joker to Iron Man's Batman in a lot of ways. And then they, he's just the red herring. He's just, he's yeah. the, you know, for, for, for Killian. And that was ruined for me almost immediately sure. when that movie came out. But I still liked, I'm like, well, I know this happens, but I want to see how it's done. And it's really great. I think it still really holds up, even though if you know it, for me at least. Like, and Ben Kingsley is so funny in this role, especially when he's outed for being, like, just some actor who was a bum, essentially. Yeah. And, And, you know, like, I think that was really cool. And it works. And I think Guy Pierce holds his own. As a good villain for this movie. And like, you know, I think he holds his own. I mean, he's not, you know, the greatest Marvel villain, but I think he holds his own, you know? And I think like he earned it enough to be to like that makes the turn even better because it's like this guy who is the, you know, Tony shunned, you know, all of a sudden he had the glow up. And he's he's the real bad guy here. And I'm like, okay, that that makes sense. And I, I can see that him as the villain but like i like how they took the mandarin character and positioned it in a way you weren't expecting instead yeah, of I, being the terrorist and the united the united states is going to take down the terrorist well maybe he's not so i like that dear mr president <laughs> yeah so. i think i think honestly all of the mandarin stuff works much better if you know from the beginning that there's a twist obviously you're robbed the kind of like oh my god i can't believe it but I think that, and I think this is part of why this movie works better on rewatch, is because when you're watching it in the first third of the movie, he, like, the Mandarin is presented as just, like, this cavalcade of, like, cliches and just, like, yeah. it's so over the top in a way that you just feel like, are they really doing this? And then it, once you come to realize that, like, no, that's the point, he's over the top and filled with cliches and just kind of full of this like vague orientalism and everything else is because like no that's like he was designed by a think tank to do to be a cliche (laughs) you know like that's why like it's 
it's part of the story that he's like this. I think that then if you know that going in and you're watching it, I think that that stuff plays better in the moment. And so you don't have that kind of carryover of like, well, I wasn't really liking this, but now I guess I get why it was like that. You can kind of watch it from the beginning and be like, oh, I get what they're doing with this. And it's actually kind of smart in a way where we would have thought it was dumb if we realized, if we didn't realize what was coming, you know? So I think that all that stuff kind of works better as a result. Um, Absolutely. I don't, I don't love uh, Aldrin Killian as as uh, as um, our our guy uh, the real Mandarin as he eventually says the end of the film in a line that I really wish had been cut because just like yeah I got it um, <laughs> I don't think it was ambiguous by that point <laughs> but I didn't mind it you know because it's it's such a it's not about him he's just the villain of the film you know so I didn't I didn't hate it. You know I think I mean? that it just has, like, he has the same problem that I think a lot of Iron Man villains have, which is that, like, Tony Stark is so charismatic and interesting, and he's, like, king of the world, right? So it yeah. makes sense to have a bunch of, like, wannabe Tony Starks be yeah. the villains of the of his movies, but unfortunately what that means is that you're left with less interesting versions of Tony Stark to spend time with. <laughs> Stammer was pretty good. I liked it. He, well, because Sam, because Sam Rockwell can play low status really well, and he knows how to draw comedy and humor out of it. Guy Pierce is not doing that. He's not being asked to do that, but he is still playing a basically less interesting version of Tony Stark, or you know, like the guy who kind of like formulated himself into Tony Stark's image because he was rejected by him. And it's just like, ultimately, that means we're just going to spend a lot of time with a guy who is less interesting than our lead character. I'd rather spend that time with our lead character, you know. And I think that that's just a hard thing to get away from. <laughs> He's not the worst character in this movie, though. But I will also well uh well okay I'll also say that I think that it's it sucks that uh, Rebecca Hall is used the way that she is yeah because and I don't know if you know this but that was not intended to be the case no, there's I, a point yeah so there's a point at in like basically kicking off the third act of the movie she just gets shot dead for like no reason well, and I the reason why it feels so inorganic. Yeah. is because that's not what was supposed to happen. It was supposed to be revealed that she was actually the person behind everything, that Killian was that. working for her, and that everything, she was the mastermind, right? But then what happened was that uh, then Marvel president Ike Perlmutter, who is a terrible human being, oh, said, yeah. well, we can't make a movie where a girl is the villain because we can't make toys out of a girl villain because boys won't play with girl toys of girls. So we oh, have to rewrite this script. Good. And so then they force them to rewrite the script and so basically kill her in the, the start of the third act because there's no use to her if she's not revealed as the villain. So I thought I thought the reason they shoot her is because they're like, oh, we don't know what to do with her. All right, bang, you're dead. All right, we killed her off, guys. Like that's the thing like her her character is so inconsistent it's like she goes to tony to like explain everything killian's doing and then she's like well no i'm really a bad guy and i need i you know we need him let's keep him alive because we need him don't hurt him all right i'm dead yeah it's, it's there's it, there's there's like a path where it's making sense where you're like okay she's trying she's trying to handle things on her own there's this communication between her and killian she's acting like she's kind of like like you gotta listen to me, and then at a certain, and then all of the sudden she's just like, actually, all this stuff that I was doing, I I take it back. Uh, Tony Stark's a good guy. I want to protect him. Oh no, now I'm dead. And it's like yeah, none, it's like that turn, the character turn is nonsensical. It doesn't make any sense. And it's so like she's dispatched so unceremoniously. It's really insulting. And actually, this role was supposed to be Jessica Chastain. 
And when they did the rewrites, she dropped out of the movie because that it was no longer a big enough role for her. And I think Rebecca Hall is doing a really great job in the role. I think she's excellent, and I think she could have handled that turn really well. And I think it's just a real shame that we ultimately didn't get that. And that's always going to weigh on the third act of this movie for me because it's so clearly a better idea than what we ultimately get. And it's just just disappointing that we didn't get it. Wow. So I would have loved it. I mean, I like Rebecca Hall as an actress, don't get me wrong, but Jessica Chastain in the role as the villain would have made this one of the great Marvel movies, I think, because Jessica Chastain's a great actress, I think, and I think having, like, it's, oh, well, it's obviously Killian's bag. Well, no, it's actually her. Yeah. Instead of her being a character whose name I can't even remember. Maya Hansen. Yeah, but I mean... (laughs) They they make they just make her just like they essentially make her a Bond girl where it's like she's in the beginning she sleeps with a hero and then she's killed off we oh she's a villain but she dies and yeah. she's like totally disposable and for for no reason and so I like I man that's a such a better movie I than know. what we got I mean I and again I like this movie but it's such a better kind as soon as once you hear that you can't you see exactly how it would have fit in and it just and then you're just like well that's obviously the better movie and now i'm mad i didn't get it (laughs) i actually am not happy that i didn't get that movie (laughs) because like it would have been great and then you could have done stuff with pepper being more involved in the finale instead of like you know just like she's damseled because killian is like creepy about her like that sucks you know like she's got to like be in her sports bra for the last like 40 minutes of the movie for some reason i mean listen if she was and she was just her and Jessica Chastain are fighting, and I mean, I'm not, you know, sexualizing it because she's in sports, but if that's what's yeah, happening yeah. and they're fighting, that's a better movie. And yeah, it especially yeah. would have laid into Tony not being always the hero, which is fine, but I can see why some dude, old man, would have said that, because, yeah, yeah, yeah would it be a dick? Very right. annoying. Yeah. Happy that he is no longer in a position of power at Marvel, um, but yeah, it just, it sucks. Um, Moving on to some things that suck a little bit less, I want to say <laughs> some of the lines of this movie are really fun. Um, for instance, like Don Cheadle's delivery when he gets like so he's in the Iron Patriot suit. I don't know if you mentioned this in your intro, but like he the war machine gets relabeled Iron Patriot because that's more um, it's basically just like political propaganda. Right. Which is unusual to see in a Marvel movie, but I think well observed. And so, like, he, they're trying to get him out of the suit, he won't leave, because then they want to use it for, like, their plot to kidnap the president or whatever. And then, so, like, Killian just kind of puts his hand on the suit to make it so hot that he has to come out, and he does. And then, uh, and then Killian just, like, breathes fire for no reason. <laughs> and Don Cheadle, in response, just says, oh, you, you breathe fire? Okay. <laughs> And, like, his, his line delivery of that was just great. Yeah, really good. I love the henchmen in this movie. Like, they're just, it's, I always get annoyed by movies that feature henchmen. Because it's just, like, why, like, number one, why are you killing these guys? Like, they're not doing anything wrong. Like, it's just a job. Like, they're just, like, private security for the, like, you're just, like, bl- murdering them. Like, just without any care or consideration. Yeah. Like, as the hero. It's like, what, that sucks. Like, they're just, you know, like, they're not the ones who are doing the bet. They're just, like, taking a paycheck. Yeah, and then that one guy basically says it. He's like, listen. I don't like these guys. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why that's why I love the way they treat him. Like they the way they treat the henchmen here. And I like their banter with Tony in like the scene where like Tony's tied to the bed and he's just like 
and Tony's like, I'm going to I'm going to kill you guys. And you're like, what are you going to do to us? You're literally tied to a bed right now. Like, I, I don't care. <laughs> like there are certain Marvel humor moments. And I'll mention that when we talk to Thor that just don't work. And yeah, it's yeah. just so corny. This was generally funny. Like when he's like, I'm going to get you. Oh, and he's just like, oh, it's good. Because, you know, it's eventually going to happen. But he's he's just like really trying to will this thing into existence. And I really like that, especially because, again, it goes back to the Tony is not the coolest guy in the world. He's not James Bond. You know, he's things it's are going to a little mess. bit off his game this time around. Yeah. And, and it was great. Um, I, I, re- I really love the humor in this movie. And uh, I love him with the kid. They yeah, when really this, good. so this was the, so we talked about this, I think, last week, uh, last month, but The Avengers was the first film that um, Marvel produced under the Disney banner, but that movie was fully produced before the Disney yeah. purchase went into effect. It was just distributed by Disney. By the time that it was ready to be distributed, Disney was in charge. Iron Man 3 is the first Disney produced from start to finish Iron Man and or Marvel movie. And yeah. when it was when the trailers started coming out and you saw like, oh, there's like an adorable little Moppet in the movie. People were like, oh, this look Disney putting kids in the movie just to make it more or accessible. Like yeah. And I just love the way that this movie treats this kid, because like number one, like Robert Downey Jr. is such an excellent actor with children, which is not an easy thing to do. And he's just no. so spontaneous and like really get you could see he really gets a lot of great stuff out of Ty Simkin. Like there's some sequences where it just feels like it's fully just like improvised where they're just kind of like bouncing things back and forth. And and it just it really works. And that kid's like really great. But like I just love that, like when he's first introduced, like the, that the kid is like, yeah, my dad, my dad's not around because, you know, he went out for a lotto ticket and you know i guess he won because he never came back it was five years ago and then like there's just like a beat and tony goes which happens dad's leave no need to be a pussy about it (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like oh okay so this isn't a disneyfied version of iron man (laughs) he also kid also gets him a few times where he's just like you're really having a panic you're really i'm triggering you by saying new york you're having a panic attack right now because (laughs) what i'm saying and he's like, yes, shut up. Just yes. shut up. And I'm just like, oh, God. And it's like, like yeah, if, that's... If you've that. ever been around a 10-year-old, uh, yeah. that captures a 10-year-old perfectly. <laughs> so, like, it's a little bit of, like, a receipt for that scene, which I like. Yeah. And then he gets him back. He says does it again where he's in the car, and he's like... He's like freaking out. He's like, "Well, I didn't mention New York." He's like, "Well, no, you did." And it's like, <laughs> and it's not like you know, banana pie in the face, like kind of slapstick, like kind no. of happy stuff. It's 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 earned it's, and it's very good. And it's not like, oh, he has to be around a, a kid to treat him to like teach him the value of love or whatever kind of no. bullshit. It's like, Which no, I was like expecting. He, and it, and like it does contribute to his his arc and his emotional growth significantly but not in the kind of hacky sort of like well kids are pure and innocent and when you look at the world through the eyes of a child like it's none of that it's just kind of like this is the one the one kid who isn't impressed by the tony stark show and so he's able to kind of like drill him in a way that kind of gets him to see who he really is uh in a way that he's having a hard time with the adults around him and it's like that's actually a really good use of a kid instead of the sort of cliched version that you might expect so a really really great compliment to them on that i think another thing so the barrel of monkey sequence in the air when he's like when the people are dropping out of the airplane and he kind of has to catch them all and he electrifies their hands so that way they have to hold on to each other and they just it's 
excellent. It's one of the best action sequences in the whole MCU, in my opinion. And it's like no, and it's just like a problem. It's it's a great way to to show that Tony is a great problem solver. Yes. And where like in the first Iron Man, you get that because it's like he's got all that time in the in the garage building a suit. And then what Iron Man two does wrong is they're like, well, what if we just do that again? But this time he's building an element. It's like, well, no, you can't just literally redo the thing that you did last time. You have to come up with a new way to show that he's a smart problem solver, creative, you know. And so this movie does that by giving him this sequence where it's like, well, I can hold four people, but there's 12 people falling to their deaths in the sky. How do I solve this problem? And it's really fun and exciting. And, like, there's, like, tension, but it, it works really well. And it also feels like... The way they shot it, it, like, it really feels like they're in the air and they're falling. Like, there's, it doesn't have that sort of green screen downside that a lot of stuff does sometimes. Yeah, it, it, it felt real. It felt like there were stakes here. And it felt like, again, there was the lack of the Tony swagger where it's like, well, I'm assuming to save the day and make some funny jokes about it, which was, like, what plagued Iron Man 2. Yeah. And, and, that, and, that, and, like, him use, being, like you said, being genuine. Being like a real person is like, okay, I'm very smart. I can figure this out. Here we go. And, and it's and it, you do get a little bit of the joke where he gets everyone and they just all splash in the water. And he's like, yeah, he saved the day. And then yeah. you find out. But then they immediately undercut his hero moment by having him back into a, like a tractor trailer and the suit blows up. And it turns out he wasn't really in the suit. Yeah. <laughs> and thank goodness, because he would have died. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and it was, it's a nice little scene there. It, it, yeah. it, it really is. Um yeah, for sure. Uh, Alex, do you want to go to Infinity and Beyond? Yeah, uh, well, I just wanted to hit one more thing before we do, which is the big climax of the movie is, like, Tony jumping in and out of a million suits, right? The, the house party protocol sequence. And that kind of got a lot of heat when it was originally released because it kind of was like, oh, here's this really interesting idea for a movie where we're kind of taking the psychology of this character seriously and like being innovative and doing this whole kind of like lethal weapon thing and buddy cop stuff and everything and then at the end of course we have to have this big giant cgi fest with all of these different suits popping around and it all none of it feels real and it just is kind of like uh way too long what do you think about that having watched that sequence like do you find that sequence fun or do you think some of those critics have a point um I can see, like, if you're not into a big CGI fest, you're not going to like that sequence at all. I actually didn't mind it because it was, like, they also, it wasn't a quick, like, well, here's all my suits. Guess who won? Tony Stark. It's, like, the suits blew up, and, like, he had to get in and out of them, and some of them weren't perfect. And it, it kind of shows that, like, all right, he's not the infallible genius again. Like, I, I kind of liked it. I thought the way they shot and how he had to, like, there were certain scenes where he's jumping from suit to suit to suit to suit to suit, and then this blows up, that happens. I like that. I, I didn't, yeah. I, 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 I thought it was fun. I, it's a fun action sequence. But if you're not a CGI person, like, you're going to hate it. You know, you really are. But I thought that stuff was really interesting because... It, it was like a good, it's like a good car chase. Like, it's just like, OK, well, we're going to make this left, make this right. Can we find him? Can we get him? Can we get him? And I like the manicness of that scene because it added to the excitement of it. And then, you know, like uh, Rhodey is like holding on to the president who's in the suit and trying to get down there. You know, death from Bill and Ted's bogus journey. He's saving him. And like, I liked a lot of what was happening. And I liked the fact there was fallibility in the suits. Like some of these suits just, they lost to these extremist guys. It wasn't just a bunch of nameless, faceless, 
dudes in machi- with machine guns like you would see like in the opening of Winter Soldier, for example, where Captain America just lays waste to a bunch of dudes. Like yeah. these, 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 these are super soldiers essentially, you know. Yeah. And so, and so they can beat these suits, and that that raised the stakes for me. And I thought it's just fun. Yeah, I mean, maybe the effects don't hold up as as great as some other effects in the MCU, but it's still overall fun and thrilling. Good popcorn stuff. Yeah, I I so I think when I watched this the first time, this didn't this felt like it went on a little bit too long and I didn't like a lot of the sort of things that go on with like Killian and Pepper and Tony and like that all that stuff. I I still would say that I don't really love the way that like Killian becomes like a horror movie villain yeah, that has to be killed four times before he's dead and like we have to pretend like Pepper is dead for 5 minutes even though obviously she's not dead. Um but I do think that this move, this sequence does have more creativity, like you're saying, to it and more kind of fun aspects of it than some people give it credit for. And uh, and I like that Pepper ends up kind of like going full beast mode and just like saving the day in a way that was kind of fun. And I thought that like Gwyneth did a really great job uh, being ferocious. And then she did a really great job being like, oh, my God, did I do that? Like in a way that was fun and didn't feel like it was undercutting it or like playing her as like a like a dumb blonde or something. It just felt like. Yeah, like it just I think that she landed that in a way that would be hard for other people to do. So I, I did like all that. Uh, did did you like the fact that like in the closing um, and I'm going to well, OK, so we're going to move on to to infinity and beyond, which is where MCU connections happen for this movie. Um, one of the biggest things about this movie that ripples through the rest of the series is that in the closing montage of this film, Tony Stark inexplicably gets the shrapnel removed from his heart yeah. through uh, like a radical new surgery um, and is like just no longer has that as a part of his body, even though that's like a core aspect to that character. And yeah. you would think that maybe that would be a bigger deal in the movie. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the reason why that wasn't a bigger deal in the movie is because actually this is one of the very rare examples uh, like they only did this a couple times Disney, but this was one of them where in order to kind of like get the Chinese market to be excited about Marvel wow. movies, what they did was they cast this actor um, who to play this doctor, Dr. Wu. Uh, they cast like a pretty notable Chinese actress or actor rather. And they gave him a special subplot that was like about five or six minutes long that was scattered throughout the film that was only in a Chinese cut of the film. It was not part of like the regular cut of the film. And in that little subplot, you find out like, oh, like we meet him. We do in this cut of the film meet him at the Geneva in the beginning of the very in the beginning of the movie in the flashback. We meet him. And then in the Chinese cut of the movie, we see him a couple more times where he's like working on this kind of experimental procedure that would help Tony Stark. But they don't have that in the actual film at all. And so instead, they just leave it to the very end montage where like, oh, by the way, I took all my shrapnel out and now I don't have an orc reactor in my chest. (laughs) And that's like a really it's a crazy choice. They would not make that choice any other time than in the year 2013, I think. But but yeah. Uh, that's why he's no. That's why he no longer has uh, the arc reactor in his chest, which is a pretty big deal because that was the thing that was keeping him alive and powering his suits and and all the rest. So he no which longer has I that after Iron Man. Noticed. I have obviously I have seen other Marvel movies in the MCU, but I never noticed that. Yeah, because the suits right. still have the arc right, reactor. But I never obviously. saw when he was out of the suit. It never clicked with me. Yep. That he didn't have the arc reactor anymore. 
Yep, and that's why. Because and and you would not be even if you had seen this movie, you might have missed it because it happens so fast. It does. Uh, it's very weird. <laughs> But another kind of MCU connection is the fact that in addition to this uh, fabulous doctor who can perform miracle work is uh, Jensen is also in that flashback sequence, which is a fun kind of moment. And remember, I told you in Iron Man that that Jensen would return and this is where he returns. So we got a nice moment where Tony definitely met Jensen before and doesn't remember because he was trashed at the at the New Year's party. So Um, and then let me ask this. Does the. Uh, extremist stuff ever come back no it is the it is the plot of the agents of shield premiere uh somebody gets extremists and they have to kind of and like the agents of shield team basically solves it uh in order to keep him from blowing up but other than that no it never it never returns in the mcu at all and it it makes sense that it wouldn't because i guess in also also in that in that uh, closing montage Tony is just like, yeah, I solved Pepper's problem. And so, like, you know, Extremis is fine now, which is weird to think because then it's like, so I guess that means that there's just, like, regenerative medical technology working in the MCU because Tony solved that, like, miracle cure problems. So, like, no one can die now, I guess. I don't... <laughs> but we never really go back to it, and I think that's probably for the best. Um, and the other the other MCU connection is, of course, the, uh, the, the end credit scene where we get a return of the science bros, Tony and, uh, and Bill. Yeah. Our buddy, I will remember his name correctly. It's Mark Ruffalo. Yes. It's Bruce Banner. It's not Eric Banner. Not Eric Banner. Which I re-listened to our last episode before we recorded this. I'm like, my God, I made that mistake 4,000 times. (laughs) But yeah, that that scene was fine. It was fine. It was, it was, it was a cute little tack on just it's, like it felt a little forced just to be like, hey, look, there's an Avenger. <laughs> you know, and it, you're like, oh. it definitely like if you sat through 12 minutes of credits just to see that scene, you would feel pretty disappointed by it. But disappointed with the 12 minutes I watched in my house. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> I was like, that's it. But the fact that you can fast forward to it now, I think, makes it a little bit nicer. But what it what I think is nice about it is that it like this kind of Bruce Tony dynamic is a central aspect of the MCU moving forward. And uh, and I think that it's nice that it's it's just a nice little nod to the fact that they are becoming closer as friends as after the events of the Avengers. So did you did you have any other MCU connections that you wanted to talk about? No. There, uh, well, I mean. Do we ever see Pepper in the Iron Man suit again? Uh, we might. Mm. I think I actually determined. know. Yeah, but I mean, like, no, I, I didn't really see any other ones. I mean, like I said, we see Ellis's name on a, a screen in um, in Winter Soldier, but not much else that I can think of. Unless, unless uh, Mandarin, unless he's part of Ten Rings, then it ties to Shang-Chi. Yeah, well, you know, it's possible that the Ten Rings, which we know is the subtitle for the for Shang-Chi, uh, definitely uh, Mandarin could be a factor in that. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything for you who have not seen that movie yet. So but that I'll was just also kinda... mentioned in Iron Man 1. Yes, so exactly. So, that, so there are a couple other things in this movie that may or may not come back later. But for the most part here, and for the most part in most of the 
um, phase two films, there's not as much connectivity to the future as you would think. That well, kind of was cool. the idea, but I think that also they they realized that that was actually a bad idea, and that's why they haven't <laughs> repeated that in the future. <laughs> next segment which i believe will be notably shorter than our most recent segment um where we're going to be talking about thor the dark world that's a film that was released november 8th 2013 directed by alan taylor and starring of course chris hemsworth as thor uh we are very excited to welcome into the mcu christopher eccleston as the all-time great villain malekith uh the dark elf Uh, man (laughs) oh well I'm pronouncing it the way that our great thespian um, Odin pronounces it, which is Malekith. He just, like, yells, whispers everything in this movie. Um, And then, of course, Zachary Levi, who was supposed to be Fandral in the first movie before, uh, you know, Chuck ruined everything. Uh, He's he's here as Fandral in... In uh, in Thor: The Dark World, this is triumphant return. I did not know when I watched this movie that Fandral had been recast because I did not remember exactly what Fandral looked like in the first place because he is not really that important in either of those movies. But Zachary Levi is here, um, and you know he will have much more success as a superhero in the future, not related to Fandral. But you know, good for us, we got to see him parry a couple of a, a couple of those guardians in this movie. But yeah, that's pretty much it. We also have a guy oh. named uh, somebody uh, that Chris O'Dowd played. I think he's, I think he's called um, Jaded uh, Tinder X. I don't know, <laughs> something like that. He, he is, he, he is, a, he is befuddled Pumble X. Um, yeah. So yeah, he is a Match.com fail. Uh, You're right. In 2013, he would definitely be like a Plenty of Fish win by yeah, uh, by uh, Jane. Sure. Listen, that's where I met my wife. It's all good. I, uh, I sad, sad to report. Uh, Chris O'Dowd does not return for future installments of the MCU. At least yet. He might pop up on a Disney Plus show. I wouldn't put anything past them. <laughs> uh, then we have um, uh, veteran character actor Adewale as uh, the nameless, faceless, uh, right-hand... The accursed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's also there. Album. I honestly, I didn't want to include him just out of respect for him, he's, just because that's such a terrible role for a very great actor, and I just feel like we so would all be better off if we just forget that he was in this movie. Gotta go. He got in there. Such a... But, but yeah, so that's Fury's Notebook, uh, welcoming in our new our, our new uh, cast member, CMCU. Bill, uh, that means that it's time for Luis's Story Corner, where Bill explains the plot of the movie we just watched. Bill, oh take it away. God. I haven't had enough alcohol to explain this. Uh, okay, so this, so there's this thing called the ether. It's a thing. Apparently, it can destroy worlds. That's about where it ends. There's these dark elves. They were supposedly killed off by Odin's dad. Shockingly, they weren't. Uh, they are hell bent on destroying all the worlds um, out of revenge, um, so they can rule. Not, uh, not destroy, just cover the world in the universe in darkness because they are of course the dark, dark elves. elves oh yeah so and they can do that because all nine realms are aligning 
Um, Jane Foster. The convergence. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, there's stuff I'm leaving out of this because it's just like <laughs> nothing. It's just like when you take spaghetti and throw it against the wall, like maybe one or two strands is really going to stick because it's probably cheap spaghetti you got from the store. It's not like the good stuff. Um, it, so, yeah, that's what this is. And so Jane Foster gets somehow discovered with uh, Darcy and their intern in tow, uh, discover that um, – there's some weird phenomena going on. Of course, Jane falls into this phenomena, which takes her into a different realm. She's uh, infected with the ether, for lack of a better term. Heimdall uh, alerts Thor that he can no longer see Jane. You would have thought Thor would have, you know, maybe you know, since the, you know, the 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 uh, the Bifrost is fixed, he would have seen his girlfriend. No, uh, he He's goes busy down, fighting wars throughout the nine realms. Yeah, the nine realms. <laughs> you turned an elder fun there for a second. So he goes down. He, picks, he gets Jane. Odin's like, I don't like any of this. He's so angry in this movie until he finds out she has the ether. Um, the Dark Elves uh, lay besiege Asgard, which leads to uh, Frigga's death, uh, which incenses Odin even more. He wants to stand, make a stand and fight the Dark Elves to the last Asgardian breath. But Thor's like, you're insane. So he uh, frees Loki from prison. They take Jane to the Dark World in order to uh, fight the Dark Elves. Uh, they immediately lose the Aether. And every Bad plan. It wasn't had. good. Loki dies. Wink, wink. And uh, they end up going to Earth, where Eric Selvin is now uh, nuts. He doesn't wear pants. Alex alluded that to uh, last episode, I believe you <laughs> referred it to. Well, he was a good character until they took his pants away. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then we have our classic, you know, sci-fi epic fight of, right, we're going to take over the world. I have to stop you from taking over the world. Thor wins. He and Jane are happy, and then Thor leaves, and Jane doesn't hear from them. And this movie is, as the poets would say, a pile of hot garbage. I can't say I disagree. I do know it has... Twelfth Night, uh, Act 3, Scene 2, Line 14. This is hot garbage. So of course. I always like to cite... Giving list. proper citations, Bill. So we always appreciate it. That's what I yes. do. So this movie does have its defenders. I want names (laughs) names of these people. Well, if you'd like to hear someone try to defend it, you could listen to my episode of the Cinema Joe's podcast from last year, where uh, Bill's friend and co-host Alan Manorino came on to talk about unsung Marvel movies, underrated Marvel movies. And my co-host Noah France picked Thor The Dark Worlds because it is a favorite of his. He had a really hard time defending it. I think it just came down to the fact that he, it was just a hill he was not, he was willing to die on, but he didn't make a great case, I'll have to tell you. Horrible death. It's a horrible (laughs) Go listen to his Rush podcast. It's better than his defense of Thor The Dark (laughs) I have to agree with you on that. But, uh, but yeah, I have to say this movie is is definitely garbage. It's not without a few moments here or there. Uh, but it's really, it's really sad how, like, all of the characters are bad. Mm. (laughs) Bring it back to last episode. Just look, (laughs) I wanted to keep going. (laughs) But, yeah, this movie went through, like, a crazy production process. Of course, like, um, Natalie Portman got Patty Jenkins to agree to direct this movie. It was going to be a huge kind of, like, love story, like, romantic epic. I love that. (laughs) 
they like M- Marvel got cold feet uh, because of all the girl stuff. Uh, and Patty Jenkins left the project. They rewrote it completely. They hired Alan Taylor, who's a very good television director. He's directed Mad Men. He's directed a bunch of great, um, like uh, Game of Thrones episodes. But uh, he has not had a very successful career directing films. He also, you might also know him from uh, Terminator Genesis. Uh, oh, he directed wow. that movie also. <laughs> so he's had a tough, he's had a tough go of it as a film director. But yeah, he, this movie is just a total disaster. Uh, it also like was supposed to be like Malekith. <laughs> so weird because Malekith in the comics is actually a really cool character. He's kind of like this, like, he's like, like, Loki is mischievous in a sort of, like, morally neutral sort of way, right? He, like, and and Malekith is a very similar character, but more of, like, a chaotic anarchy sort of mischievousness, right? He's more of, like, a Joker sort of character in the Thor comics. None of that is in this movie. Um, It was never going to be in this movie, sadly, even though Christopher Eccleston would be great casting for that role. He'd be excellent as that. Instead, they gave him this, like, sad, depressing backstory about how, like, Odin's dad killed my wife, and now I'm sad about it, and so I'm gonna kill everybody. But then uh, Avengers was such a big hit that um, everybody was like, well, we can't just have Loki in a small couple of scenes. We need as much Loki as possible, because it's 2013, and Tumblr is obsessed with Tom Hiddleston, and he's dating Taylor (laughs) Swift for a week, and we have as much Loki as we possibly can get. So they cut, like, almost all of uh, boring Christopher Eccleston's uh, plotline and motivation, which, like, maybe that was better, but it also means that we don't care about this character at all now. Like, he just is like, I'm a dark elf, and I like darkness. And it's like, cool, great, I'm glad. I saw a better version of this character in Hellboy the Golden Army, which is essentially the same character. He's a dark elf. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and he's he's more interesting. And, yeah. and, and, but like, I love that you're the I don't know if it's true or not, but I would love it if it's just like we put more of Loki in because Tumblr was like really obsessed with Tom. It, it really is. I'm not lying. It was like, I, I mean, it wasn't know, just Tumblr, it. but it was like he said that he's like, Listen, <laughs> Tumblr don't lie. We put it there because of this. <laughs> this is more interesting the a, a potential theory that Tom Hiddleston's movie is more because of Tumblr than anything that really happened in this movie. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I mean, some some of the Anthony Hopkins line readings are definitely interesting, though. Like, for instance, I didn't know that birthright was a three syllable word, but it certainly is in his uh <laughs> telling i did whenever he's like he's confronting loki at the beginning of the movie and loki's like my birthright was to lead and he just goes your birthright was to die and i was like what did you just become Gollum? like what's going on he, he just he just became blackbeard the pirate in this one yeah, but uh so, so alex i guess we just we we missed certain parts of this this thing is like where did you first see this oh right i completely thing. forgot my own format uh yeah it's so caps deep freeze sucks that's why who, whatever what was our first experience with the movie yeah. uh i saw this in theaters oh. i heard it was gonna be bad i didn't really much like it um i've seen it several more times since then i continue to not like it um for a while i was like i'm not sure if it's the worst um or if it's just one of the worst but i've decided definitively that it is the worst marvel movie that's been released like it's what definitely is, worse than the hulk with it well i think that like the first thor a lot of people don't like i think this is significantly oh, yeah. better than the first thor even though the first thor doesn't totally work 
I think that this is, I think the Hulk is definitely, the Incredible oh. Hulk is in contention for that. And I think that the Incredible Hulk, as much as that movie goes off the rails, it at least has a cool, like, opening, like, 35 minutes. There were, there were rails for it to be. <laughs> yes. So, I, I, yeah. Well, and I mean, of course, you know, the Eternals was the lowest rated Marvel movie, according to Rotten Tomato. Which, uh, I, which makes me really excited to watch it, because, like, I'm just like... <laughs> Who was really who? Who hurt you with this movie? I want to know. We'll we'll get to it. No, we'll get to it in a few months. But it is by no like it is so not even close to as bad as this movie. Like not even close. It can't be. I mean, I saw this off a red box rental. Like I think the year after it came out, and this was the first time I've watched it since. Like when it's on TV, I actively avoid this movie. (laughs) Yeah, like it's also no. It not just is, like, not good, but it's, like, a tonal mess because they're just, like, oh, because another thing that they did in the reshoots, like, when they resh- when they did reshoots for this movie, and this is, like, before the time where all Marvel movies just schedule in reshoots to kind of work things out, this was, like, they had to go in to do reshoots because it wasn't working, and what they did was they put a lot more Loki into it. And then they also put a lot more Darcy into it because they were like, we need comedy. Oh. We need this to be funnier. It's oh. not funny enough. And it's like, I love her. I love I love the character of Darcy is great in the first Thor. I think she's going to come back in a future MCU installment and work really well again. Here, it's just like, it so clearly feels injected into a movie that doesn't need it or want it. And so it just doesn't, it's just such a tonal mismatch that it just is like, what are we, like, what are we doing? Like, you can't, like, the zany antics just don't work with the high melodrama. Like, you have to pick one or the other. I'd prefer neither because neither of them are working well, but they're both working badly in different directions, which somehow is even worse. You know what her role is? And I I love her in WandaVision and I I, I like her elsewhere. I like her as, I like her as an actress. You know, this my least favorite scene in WandaVision is when, like, out of nowhere, she's the one who takes out that, um, what's the, uh, was it, what's the name of the uh, agency that Rambo's in? Sword. She takes out the sword agent at the big guy, the big bad at the yeah. end. Another, another what? example of bad reshoots that she yeah. was unfortunately the Every center of. scene she does in this movie is her crashing into it, being like, ha! <laughs> like, ha! And here's a joke, ha! And you're just like, god damn it! It's not funny. You've just undermined every scene you're in. And she is legitimately a very funny actress with great yeah. timing. And in it, the first Thor, it works. Like, she yes. pepper, she's the pepper on a bunch of scenes, and it works great. And you, you feel like she's a real person with a real relationship to Jane. And in this movie, she's just, like, a cartoon character. And it just, like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. So, and, yeah, and I, I, I did. Elvin in this they 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 make Anthony they make Odin such a jerk like yeah so let's let's move like, we're, we we can't help but get straight into the Heimdall Memorial Hindsight Corner where we reflect upon our our rewatch and yeah I just every time I watch this movie I hate it more basically I just like Heimdall was good Heimdall's fine I mean he has like his biggest L of the entire thing which is just like his whole freaking job is like i can see everything all of the time and i use that power to protect asgard and then they fucking lets a whole invasion into he, he notices one ship a Alex. second before they were invisible he could see through everything he doesn't matter <laughs> he actually saw it remember he ran out he, he hits him with the at the last possible second he catches <laughs> one ship done. and then they all fucking invade <laughs> then it was a cannon for him to shoot i also love how they ripped off 
uh, you know, Transformers the movie where they had all like they, they were invading and all these cannons come out of the, out of everywhere and all these ships come out and they like get destroyed. I'm like, wow, that was ripped off from another movie. Like, I will say the was, one thing that this movie does that as it that contributes positively to the MCU they, is it well I. Uh, that is good, although it gets even better in the future. Um, spoiler oh, alert. Oh, good. Um, I want to see. <laughs> but uh, but they also they redesigned Asgard completely for this film. It's yes, it looks it's completely different from how it was designed in the first film, and I think it's significantly improved. And I think when we return to Asgard in future installments, I think we're really benefited from that. Yes, so I, that was a good that was one good thing that they did. Um, a bad thing that they did was just completely. Uh, invert the character of Odin from his first appearance. <laughs> he just sure. has the exact inverse uh, personality <laughs> and motivation set. In the first movie, he's like, Thor, you are too like fast to go to war and reckless with our people's lives. You're not fit to lead. And then in this movie, he's like, Thor, you're not letting me fight people. I don't care if all of the Asgardians die. I'm going to kill everybody. And well, it's like, I get that like his wife died. And so I guess you could say like, well, he's just like but plunged was, in grief but he's even like that before any of that happens yeah. he's just a jerk from like minute one <laughs> like it i wrote was, down what he says was, to jane i yeah, wrote down like, what he says to jane when jane comes he goes like like thor brings jane to asgard to like because she's infected with this cosmic goo or whatever and sadly it's not like venom imagine if she turned into venom instead that would have been so much better <laughs> that would have been interesting interesting <laughs> But so so she's infected with cosmic goo and like she goes to Asgard and then like he and then Odin comes in and she's and he's she's like get her out of here and he's like no father she's ill like it's we need her to help her and and he goes she is ill she is mortal illness is their defining trait which is like really harsh what, what happened? it's like bro what <laughs> happened to you in the first movie you were like we need to defend everyone we need to defend the, the humans like the, that's our job. Yes. And then you're just like, screw them. Let them die. Uh, That's what they do. That's what they're good at. It's like, when did you turn into Ebenezer Scrooge? It's and like, then and, and then he goes, and then like Thor like puts up a little bit of a fight, and he just goes, she does not belong here any more than a goat belongs at a banquet table. Just like, dude, you just called her a goat. That's really rude. <laughs> She's right there. It's, it, it's so bad. It really is. It's just... It also, just, the Dark World is so ugly. It looks so ugly. It's like, they, you could have like, done anything. It, by the way, why like, did you make it look like this? Like, I mean, the junkyard planet they end up doing in Loki the series is way more beautiful, quote-unquote, than, than what this Dark World is, which is basically just like they found, like, some black sand in Hawaii, and they're like, all right, well, why don't we make that a Dark World? You know, and let's like, make that And, a like, planet. everything is just orange and brown, and it's just it's, gross. It's just ugly, and it just so it's bad to look at. It's stupid. I hate it. I mean, uh, and then, the Loki and stuff mostly works, I think. Shit. I think the Loki stuff. I think Tom Hiddleston is really yeah. fun. I yeah. think his arc with Thor is like mostly works. I don't think that Chris Hemsworth is really nailing the dr- dramatic moments here, but I think that Tom Hiddleston is kind of carrying him along in those scenes. Mm-hmm. And I think his scene with Rene Russo as Frigga is excellent, and I think Frigga is really great with Natalie Portman as well. And you know who's the biggest travesty here, and I guess that's why we don't see her really anymore. It's like Natalie Portman is just like she is basically a cardboard character. She's a cardboard cutout. She doesn't. Yeah. There's nothing to Jane, and that's like the dumbest part. It's like she was so integral in in the first Thor, and their their chemistry. The movie together. opens with her. She's the per- person the first Thor movie opens with. 
she has so much a right to be utterly furious and never want to see Thor again. He hasn't seen her for years. But here's here's how they make up. It's like she's like, babe, and he's like, babe, 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 oh, babe, and then they're back together. It's like that's not even a thing. Like no. this thing makes me, this movie makes me want to throw things. It's just like you <laughs> have a plot yeah. and you just don't do anything with it. You and the ending is like. A bad Doctor Who movie, and yeah, I made that reference. The spaceship falls on him. That's how the... It's like, come on. (laughs) Damn it. And it's just like, then you have Chris O'Dowd, who's just there, who is just like, let's put the hot comedic actor in there. And like, I mean, hot because he was popular. And listen, if you ask my wife, she would say he's hot. I think he's hot. He's hot. He's he's a handsome son of a bitch. So it's just like... He was the romantic lead of uh, of, of Bridesmaids a couple years before this. Hilarious. And... but. You completely misuse him. He's just like kind of there. He's the tie, like he's the Ty Burrell character in so many movies, like National Treasure, or other things where he's like, or the Hulk, where he's the boyfriend and he's just disposable. I'm like, it's Chris O'Dowd and the stuff where she's calling him in the dark world and is going back and forth. It's such bad comedy. It's just the only thing I liked here was like some of the ship battles where they basically have the the Viking ships, which are actually like, you know, fighter jets, essentially like that's fun. It's different. And the Renee Russo stuff where she basically, she cuts a couple people up. I'm like, that's pretty badass, but it doesn't last long. And this movie is just like, we needed to do something with Thor. And this is the best they can come up with. And it's, it's not their best. It's, it's, it, I'm more excited. I, like Ragnarok is like, Four million times better than this oh, movie. Oh, it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's not even close. It really it's isn't close. I mean, in that movie, literally, it could have been them just reciting Taika Waititi dialogue to each other. It would have been better than this. Yeah, and it is notable that like Natalie Portman left the Marvel <laughs> franchise after this movie. Like, she was very upset with how, you know, she was a producer on the film. She ha- was very integral. She personally got Patty Jenkins to be to agree to be in be the director and to write the script and they basically just took the whole movie away from her and gave her a terrible part and yeah and really did not service her character at all and so it's very understandable that she walked away and and hadn't hasn't really been back since although she finally is going to be returning in Thor Love and Thunder this summer and I'm really glad that she decided to come back so she can get a proper second yeah. installment at, for her character because she deserves it it, it's it's in, it, I'm sorry if I'm just irrational during this, but it just no, it's the just, only proper response. <laughs> it's so bad. And I'm like you said, I'm very glad she has like a competent, like hopefully a competent script and like, you know, cast and director and she's going to be Lady Thor. And I think like that's so interesting. And I'm dying to see the first trailer. And yeah. if it's Love and Thunder and it doesn't have an 80s hair metal hair band like soundtrack to it i will be slightly disappointed but at the same time it's after seeing this i'm like anything could be better (laughs) it could be umbop and i'll be happy (laughs) actually umbop would be amazing i'm sorry it would be i think taika could score an action scene to umbop and have it be like the most bloody disgusting thing that ever happened i could see that um (laughs) but uh but yeah, I think the old, like this movie does a couple of things well. It it rehabs Loki's character after yes. the Avengers in a way that I think is necessary for moving forward. I think it and it does that work well. 
Um, and, you know, it gives Rene Russo a reason to be Frigga because she's horribly wasted in the first one and she actually gets some fun stuff to do here until she gets killed off, which sucks. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that's about it. So we can move on now into To Infinity and Beyond where we talk about our, uh, our MCU connections to the wider world that are in this movie. Uh, Bill, do you have any before I go through my list since I started off last time? Thor, Loki, and Heimdall are in it. That um, is true. Uh, it 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 um, gosh, like this movie just makes me so mad that I just oh well, we have the Infinity Stones in the very yeah. tacked on end credit sequence. This is technically the first time that they reference the Infinity Stones. They don't specifically call them Infinity Stones in the text of the film, but oh. in the opening, uh, kind of. In, in the opening um, monologue that Odin gives, uh, he refers to the, the ether as as one of these like uh, early artifacts from the beginning of time that are usually found in stone, but this is not stone. And I thought it was interesting because my memory was that they kind of um, like uh, Say retconned. It. <laughs> that they kind of retconned the ether as being an infinity stone but in mm-hmm. fact no like from the very start it was intended to be an infinity stone and then they do kind of in the end credit scene i believe explicitly call it an infinity stone yeah, right so we get that it's but, home, um which is ray stevenson and lady sif who by the way why don't you play more into her character and her you know her yeah well and in the love romance movie sif was going to be prominent it was going to be this kind of like should he be with thor you know there's going to be a whole thing but yeah, yeah, instead it's just like Odin being like, you have an attractive woman right here. Why don't you sleep with her? And Thor being like, I don't know. I'm sad. I'm in a hoodie. And just like, what are we? Come on, guys. What are you doing? I, I mean, I have thoughts on that. But, you know, listen. but, uh, but yeah, so podcast for another day. But, you know, the end up we get the introduction to the collector. We do. Guardians of the Galaxy, of course, played by Benicio Del Toro. Uh, yeah. Which is a very he's a very odd character. He's more, in his his two minutes on screen is more interesting than Malekith. Um, and uh, yeah, so we get our, our first mention of Infinity Stones. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much the biggest thing. You know, Loki on the throne at the end. Where yeah. is Odin? That's a big question. That'll get resolved later. Um, some Korg. Uh, there's a rock monster that um was basically supposed to be a reference to Korg when it was in this movie, but it's like the big rock monster when Thor is on Anaheim and the, and uh, he like breaks them apart with his hammer. Uh, but then oh, they just, dis- yeah, yeah, yeah. but then they decided to actually make Korg a character in Thor Ragnarok. And so yeah, that yeah. no longer is Thor is that no longer is Korg. Um, Korg. I wonder if Thor ever told Korg about that, like if that was his cousin or something. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. It's war, baby. It's war. <laughs> it's so nonchalant about it. It's like, yeah, happens. I didn't like him anyway. Um, yeah, there's. <laughs> but yeah, there's that. That's pretty much. There's also a line that I wrote down to include in this section was, uh, so Frigga is talking to Loki, and he go, and she goes, always so perceptive of everyone but yourself, which is not really the most profound words to speak of a character but it struck me as kind of like a mission statement for what this loki series was going to be about like it's literally about him understanding himself through other versions of himself so i thought that was kind of in retrospect that feels kind of a a nod to what's to come even though obviously not intended nope (laughs) they never intended for they never thought of that when this 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 disaster was written but uh but yeah okay so would you go out of your way to watch this movie again Again, I mean, I've seen it like four or five times, so that is way more than anyone ever should have. Yeah. I just because I'm a completist, and when I do rewatches, I, f- I have to 
watched them all, but I'm not. I, I'm ready to cast this aside after this most recent rewatch. <laughs> it's rough. Let's let's get into something great. Yes. for this week and for the first uh, episode of our Phase 2 coverage, and that is Captain America The Winter Soldier, which was released on April 4th, 2014, uh, starring Chris Evans as the titular Captain America. So we're going to go straight on into Fury's Notebook. We're going to talk about some of the uh, interesting characters who join the MCU in this installment. Of course, we're going to start with the big guns right up top, Robert Redford, uh, debuting as Alexander Pierce. Uh, the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, we thought that Sam Jackson was the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it turns out there is a secretary of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. I would love to know the bureaucratic uh, org chart of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because, like, there's it's apparently there's a secretary who is, I'm assuming, appointed as part of, like, the president's cabinet. But he well, reports, President Ellis. But he reports to the World Council, which is an extra organizational, like, world, like UN-like agency. So... Uh, I would love to know how that all works. I, w- I also would love to know if anyone who's ever re- written a comic book, like, took a, like, international politics class. I'm going to guess no, but <laughs> in any case. Well, I'm curious. Uh, well. But uh, in addition to him, and of course, you know, Robert Redford, legendary actor, My uh, creator of Sundance Film Festival, uh, never won an Oscar, sadly, but, you know, he is now retired from acting, so uh, we'll never see him again, but Star- he's very My good. Mom- my mom's heartthrob when she was in her 20s and might start with my dad's favorite movie, The Sting, one of the all-time greats. Sure. You want to see a good late uh, Robert Redford role around this time is The Old Man and the Gun, which came out a couple of years ago. David Lowry movie, great. Uh, but yeah, so he's in this movie. Uh, we also have Anthony Mackie making his uh, triumphant debut as Sam Wilson, a.k.a. The Falcon, who is uh, Captain America's new best friend uh, because his old best friend sadly died in captain america the first avenger or so we think (laughs) uh we also have emily van camp who is in this film only referred to as agent 13 but will be revealed later as sharon carter the niece of peggy carter um it's weird that they didn't mention that in this movie i don't it felt like an oversight and then they corrected in the next captain america movie but Everyone watching her knew that's who she was. Anybody, like, when they cast the role, they were like, it's going to be Sharon Carter's niece, so it, or Peggy Carter's niece. So it's weird that they never, like, got around to it. But I guess all that other stuff's going on, to be fair. So they didn't have time to talk about, like, family lineage at the time. And then, of course, uh, Frank Grillo makes his uh, very, very necessary, and I say this in all sincerity, uh, introduction into the Marvel Cinematic Universe as uh, Brock Rumlow, uh, who is uh, a very fun agent of shield uh or so we think uh so yeah that's Fury's notebook uh do you have any did i miss anybody important that you want to say no because maria was already we already talked about her in the last episode i don't think there's anyone else although danny pudi has a cameo (laughs) yes and uh, because this is of course uh directed by joe and anthony russo who got their start well not quite got their start but became relatively well known as tv directors 
um, under both Arrested Development and Community. And so they've made it a point to put a community actor cameo in all of their MCU films. And so this is the start of that with Danny Pudi as an agent oh, of S.H.I.E.L.D. as and, well. And uh, UFC legend George St. Pierre as Batroc, who we, we then see again. And, uh, that is true. Welcome to the Winter Soldier. Yes, who is, of course, in the comics, uh, Batroc the Leaper, and his uh, he is notable for being good at leaping, which I just think is great that they were like, yeah, I want that guy for the opening he's, fight he's scene. French. <laughs> we call them frogs. Have him leave. That's essentially yes. what the thought process. I oh, one thousand percent. That's yeah. what it was in like nineteen sixty four or whatever that debuted. <laughs> 100%. But uh, yeah, so Bill, are you ready to give us a little intro into the Luis's story oh. corner where we talk about oh. the plot of this movie? A lot of twists and turns. This this is thicker than a, a, a thicker than maple syrup. The amount of uh, amount of plot we got here, of course. Falcon, uh, sorry, Falcon the Winter Soldier. Captain America the Winter Soldier picks off, uh, picks up, I should say, after the events of the Avengers, which all three of these movies have. Uh, what happens here is that we start off with Steve Rogers, Captain America, along with Rumlow, the Strike Team, and Black Widow uh, boarding a shield ship with uh, our favorite agent uh, Stitwell. Stiltwell? Stitwell. Sitwell uh, on board that has been hijacked. Jasper Sitwell. Jasper Sitwell. I knew it was something weird. Um, that it was, that has been hijacked by Batroc. Um, and they have all these hostages. Of course, Steve Rogers does what Captain America does. He frees, he saves the day, but then finds uh, that Natasha is downloading some sort of information and begins this uh, whole thing of distrust. Why does she have a separate mission here? And of course, Steve then goes to Nick Fury. What's really happening here? And Nick Fury again gives him a very obtuse answer. Of course, Nick Fury is trying is investigating something, and then out of nowhere, of course, I'm skipping a couple of things, but out of nowhere, is uh, driving his car and is then ambushed by what looks to be police officers, but it turns out to be some sort of hit squad that are going after one of the world's greatest secret agents. Of course, he is wounded mortally, almost, uh, and escapes, ends up at Steve Rogers' apartment. Of course, I forgot to mention, Steve Rogers runs into a, a very nice man named Sam Wilson, a veteran. Um, literally runs into him. Literally, well, actually runs. He runs past him, him many um, times. <laughs> his left. Yes. We'll bring that up later. Um, and uh, who works at the VA. So remember him. So, so uh, Steve, Steve finds Fury in his apartment, and Fury tells him that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been compromised. Everyone's listening, and he's about to explain what's going on, and then Nick Fury is assassinated by a sniper that is out on a roof. Steve Rogers runs into him, and then he is confronted by who we find out is the Winter Soldier. Um, Fury is transported to the hospital where he dies on the operating table. And from there, all hell breaks loose. Cap, who now has a flash drive that was handed to him by Nick Fury, hides it in a hospital vending machine. By the way, not the best spot for it, but... Not a great plan. Not a great plan, Steve. Uh, he is brought back to S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters where he meets Secretary Pierce. And Pierce is trying to find out why Fury was there. Steve gives him some very vague answers. 
doesn't really give Pierce what he wants. And unfortunately, that leads to Rumlow and the strike team and amongst many, many other agents trying to take Steve Rogers into custody. Steve escapes and becomes a fugitive of S.H.I.E.L.D. Of course, he and Natasha end up linking up. Natasha, no dummy, finds Steve's very poorly uh, placed a hard drive. While and a great and great show not tell moment where she's just chewing a, a, a piece of bubble gum, which is what he hid the the flash drive behind. So they must now team up and trust each other in order to find out what happened to Fury while on the run from Shield and Pierce. We don't know what's going on. Of course, they end up in all places where secrets lie, New Jersey. And they find, out, <laughs> they find out through it in an army base where Steve uh, trained and was uh, chosen uh, to be Captain America. They find a secret bunker and an algorithm and a sort of a digital entity that is Armin Zola. Of course, we remember him from Captain America. And it finds out that S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm sorry, Hydra did not die with Red Skull. Hydra is alive and has infiltrated uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. and has been... Uh, basically been a puppet master of shield and has been using the winter soldier amongst many other assets to control the fate of the world. And what they're going to be doing is using a thing called project insight, which Nick Fury introduces to Steve earlier, where it's going to use um, an algorithm to eliminate current threats and future threats through a number of helicarriers armed to the gills. Of course, Steve and Natasha are ambushed by shield, which Detonate, which uh, shoots a missile at this bunker. They uh, somehow escape, and then they must find a way to save the day. Of course, they end up running into Sam Wilson, that who we mentioned earlier. Sam was an experimental army pilot who had a, which we now know is his Falcon wings, and they work together to find uh, to get Stitwell, get information on what's going to happen, and then they are about to. Um, takes it well to figure out a plan when the winter soldier and the strike force attack through this amazing battle. It's revealed that the winter soldier is Steve's old buddy, Bucky Barnes. From there, we learned that the winter soldier is Bucky Barnes. We are then, then we then find out that maybe some other people are alive. Nick Fury is still alive as Maria Hill in disguise frees our heroes from capture of the strike team uh who were caught while steve was you know stunned the fact his buddy was still alive uh and then they found out that nick fury is still alive and the plan is that not only will hydra be taken down but she'll will be taken down as well we have a massive battle that ensues which we see steve confront his old pal as well as he and sam taking down the helicarriers saving 20 million people around the world from dying at the executing hands of Hydra. Nick Fury ends up taking down Pierce. And um, with the help of Black Widow, of course. Yeah. And that's our movie. There's so much that happened in this. It's hard for me to try and. No, you did a great job summarizing. I, I mean, there's some stuff that you left out that we'll get into. But yeah, Bill, was this your first time watching this movie? Heading into oh, Cap's Deep Freeze, which is. is significantly relevant this time around <laughs> uh, no this is the most watched this i have watched this movie more times than any other marvel movie i believe because this movie came out on stars 
because that's where all of the Disney properties would go, because there was no Disney Plus mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, came out right around when my daughter was born. So, you know, when I was on late night dad duty, uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier was off and on. And when you wake up with a baby crying, you uh, can't really go back to sleep. So I probably have seen this movie about, easily seen this movie about 10 to 15 times. Uh, Yeah, it was on a lot during that period, too. (laughs) So I have to tell you. So I have seen this movie a lot. It's, as of today, it is my favorite mcu film nice as of today we'll keep checking on that as we go through our mcu rewatch but yeah no i mean it's it's elite tier for sure i watched this when it first came out i watched it in theaters um i really liked it (laughs) uh i continue to really like it when i rewatch it every year i remember being really excited and for like the production of this movie i was like following it when they were like uh, filming this in Pittsburgh and DC, and, and it was this is a movie where they actually film outside, not in a warehouse with green screen, um, which certainly will not be the case as the MCU moves forward. So that was nice. It has a really kind of textured, real kind of quality to it. Like it has these great, uh, and that I really liked at the time, um, and I continue to really like. I think at the time I probably liked Avengers a bit more than this. In in the years since. Avengers has fallen behind Winter Soldier for me um and it kind of was like you know I liked the first Captain America as you'll remember but didn't love it when I first saw it I have since really fallen for it hard I think this is a better movie but this really like between those two films like this film really solidified me as a as a Captain America fan like I bought a Captain America t-shirt which is not something that I really do for like characters or like geek properties whatever I'm not like a big uh merch guy but I did I bought a Captain America shirt because it's like he's my superhero man I gotta I gotta respect it I really really like him uh and I had no real familiarity of that character outside of the MCU like I didn't read the comics and like I like he was a character on the Spider-Man TV show that I watched growing up, but he certainly was, uh, it was kind of a very wooden sort of, I'm America's soldier and the Red Skull is bad. And Peter Parker, I knew your parents. And like, you know, I, he didn't really give a big impact on me at the, the, when I was growing up. Certainly other characters, other Marvel characters who jumped into like Blade was, had an arc on Spider-Man. I was like, Blade is cool. I like Blade, but like the, <laughs> But uh, Captain America didn't do that for me. But but this movie really solidified his appeal. And I also loved that this movie was kind of playing in the MCU sandbox post-Avengers in a way that Iron Man 3 and Thor really weren't. Like, you know, Loki is in prison at the start of Thor because of what happened in Avengers, but that's pretty much it in terms of connectivity. And Iron Man 3, like as we talked about, the whole arc of his character is informed by what happened in the Avengers, but you don't really feel, it doesn't feel connected to that world as much. It feels still like it's in the Iron Man corner of that world. This movie feels really well integrated into the MCU, and it feels like kind of a lot of the elements that I liked would move forward with that similar approach. Like, yeah, well, Black Widow was part of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury was part of S.H.I.E.L.D., so obviously they would both be here. Originally, uh, Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner, was supposed to be in this movie as well. They had to write him out because he was filming Mission Impossible at the time. Uh, and I think that's probably for the best because I don't think yeah. this movie needs him. And also, he's really good in those Mission Impossible yeah. movies. He's so really good in those movies. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm 
fine with how that worked out. But yeah, it, this is just, it's really fun and it really works well <laughs> with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., shockingly enough. Like the yeah. first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., aired the year this came out and basically like they had like a dozen episodes where they're like we're shield and it seems like something might be going on we don't know what it is it's a conspiracy and then like winter soldier comes out and then the next week on agents of shield literally the next week on agents of shield is like so it turns out uh all of shield are nazis and we're under attack (laughs) (laughs) and it like it actually made that show really fun for its last half of the season as a result so um for me that's not a not a reason to like this movie, but it does just kind of add to that kind of like, yeah, like this is what the MCU can be. It was really that first uh, thing after the Avengers that gave me that feeling. So I think that's why I really liked it when it came out. Why I like it now is because it's just a really well-made movie that's really fun and has a great cast and has like uh, several really strong action sequences. And, uh, and, but Steve and, and, and Bucky, man, they, they own my heart. And uh, everyone else has to rent it from them. What, what, what I loved about this was, it, it, like I said in, when we talked about the first Captain America movie, I'm like, this feels like the actual, that first Captain America feels like the first MCU movie. I mean, it, like I said, if you look on Disney+, Plus, if you look at the timeline, it is literally the beginning of the MCU. But that's where everything feels like it converged. We had S.H.I.E.L.D., we have Hydra, we have a Tesseract, we have all this stuff. Everything is the confluence of everything. And I feel like, like you said, Iron Man and Thor, the first two movies we just talked about are very insular. They're very much their own world. This takes in a lot of other stuff and is a very audacious movie. Think about what they do. They take Robert Redford, eternal good guy or protagonist at least, and make him the villain. He's very, rarely, if ever, a villain in anything. They also essentially, that we don't know until we realize he's not dead. They kill Samuel L. Jackson. They kill Nick Fury. And yeah. then, then it's like, oh, by the way, S.H.I.E.L.D., which we have a show about right now, like you were saying, where they're the good guys. Oh, Hydra's still alive, and most of these guys are bad? It <laughs> takes so much. It's like this, it's this such an ambitious show. I'm mean, sorry, film. And, and, it, and it has all these trappings of a great big action epic, but also like a really intelligent spy game type movie. And his Robert Redford's character is not dissimilar to his character in Spy Game with Brad Pitt, <laughs> which I'm a very big fan of that movie anyway. So like they do a lot with this movie. We see the Fury re- remove the eye patch, which is crazy. And we get the introduction of Falcon, which was like kind of this, I would say, C or D level character that oh, yeah. was and like they really went, radically had, like, reinvent his backstory and everything else. They uh, for the better. Like they really they the MC version of Falcon is is pretty different from the yeah. comics origins, and I think we're all the better for it. It 100 is, and then we also get they also actually tie off the Peggy stuff, which is really sad. And but then they they do so much to to solidify Chris Evans as Captain America in this, just like his moral code and how it applies to it. Like I said in the last episode, like Captain America could easily be a very corny character. It's like truth, justice, American way. You just talk about that. But here it's just like, no, you should like shield. When he has that one scene where he's like, shield has to go down. Mm -hmm. 
that is a really like Captain America is the captain. He's the guy. He's the leader. And I think it's it's really cool. It's like, again, this is a big moment. We're going to take down S.H.I.E.L.D. We have a whole show about S.H.I.E.L.D., but we're taking it down. Like, you know, Nick Fury is head of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're going to take S.H.I.E.L.D. down. Who's a good guy? Who's a bad guy? We don't know. And I love how they play so much with that of just like the espionage aspect of it. Like, who's good? Who's bad? You don't know. You can't trust anyone. The only person you can trust is Captain America. And yeah. it's great. And the action sequences in this film, the scene with Nick Fury in the car with his, I'll just say, smart car, for, for and where he's just like, I forgot how great that scene is. Where yeah, he, it's really intense. They go hard. So, they really go hard. So good. It really, really is. And it's a great intro to Winter Soldier as a character also. Oh, my God. Yeah, Winter Soldier, they come off as... He like the Sebastian Sebastian Stan comes off incredibly well as the Winter Soldier. He comes off as he's essentially the Terminator, and it's but not done in a very in a stiff and tilted way. The one the one thing, and I mean this is we basically when it moved into Heimdall Memorial Hindsight Corner, where we reflect our current opinions on the movie. Uh, but the the one thing watching it this time, watching that sequence with the car that jumped out to me is like. So the cops are like going crazy on on Samuel Jackson for like a solid like 15 minutes. They yeah. cause like this huge traffic accident and it's like just like total car like running around the street with like machine guns and stuff. Just like real like intense stuff. And then like none of it works and like then uh, then Bucky yeah. just comes the Winter Soldier at that point. We don't know it's Bucky, of course, but he just comes with this gun that just like sends a bomb that attaches magnetically to the bottom of his car. Just blows it's a it up. Like I don't yeah. know maybe start with that <laughs> yeah <laughs> it I, saved a lot of trouble for everybody yeah like that's the part it's like, and you did it and like how do you not notice the guy like you know what i mean it, <laughs> but it, it, that's it's a little it's a little wonky at that point but it is a cool moment it and, is and it's so and it's his bad. introduction as a character and you're just like okay i guess i'll give it to them but <laughs> i i knew see again because i didn't watch the still gun on tv like i knew that was bucky but it still plays so well. Yeah, I mean, even, anybody who knows on, anything about the Winter Soldier knows I that did, it's Bucky. Right. Like, yeah. And so I, I knew that. I think most a lot of people knew going into it that that was going to be Bucky. I don't think they really try that hard to hide him, who yeah. he is. It's not like a, it doesn't feel like it's the reveal. Kind of... Yeah, the reveal is is significant because it's Steve realizing that it's Bucky and I think that that's really smart the way that they play it with the with the audience where they're like the movie isn't hinging on the audience being shocked at who it is the movie is getting emotional payoff by Steve being shocked at who it is and that is how you make an effective twist on a character reveal where like the character's identity is supposed to be a secret but has been known to anybody who could google it for the last like 30 years But I also like how we there's still a lot of like that spy game stuff in there where it's just like with Fury, especially I love the Fury part of this where it's just like you watch him die like Natasha, super spy, supposedly a super assassin, ice cold, like loses it. Marie Hill, like, like I think she was I think that Natasha was extra vulnerable um, to being emotional here because she had her worst haircut in the entire MCU. And that just like what you know, you have a bad haircut and you're walking around with it. That's going to make you like a raw nerve for everything else. Listen, I've had a lot of very easy man haircuts, so I can't really like 
relate too much to that. So, I mean, it's either been spiked or just comb over. So it's like, it's, it's not a lot for me. I can't relate too hard to it, but I've seen my mom with bad haircuts. So I hate <laughs> in some ways, but yeah, it was like Natasha was more vulnerable and the stuff with Natasha, like, like I said, like the fury stuff where the big reveal of he's alive, I think is great. And just like how they're playing, like how much of a spy he really is, I think is super cool. And his, his interplay, like, You've never seen Redford and Jackson like ever really interact and just their little stuff together is fantastic. And Redford Redford doesn't have the biggest role in this, no. but he is awesome. Well, and that's the like that is a reveal that I think that was a surprise to yes. people watching it that he was the bad guy. And I know I actually I watched this movie with someone over over the weekend to prepare for this episode, and I watched it with him, and it was the first time he ever seen this movie. He had never seen it. He didn't know anything about it. He had seen the original uh, Captain America, and he was a fan. And we watched the Avengers together recently, and he likes like uh black widow now because he likes her so he was really excited to watch this movie i told him a little bit about the nazi stuff and he was like oh a secret science nazis interesting uh he just he couldn't every time i told him more about the captain america franchise he just couldn't believe how much nazis played into future movies in the mcu and it was like trust me it's crazy (laughs) but so he was he was shocked that robert redford was the bad guy he really didn't see that coming and i think that's great He's he's been the eternal good guy or the bert- eternal protagonist. He and does- the movie really plays it where you really think that like they're like he's leading a spy agency, so he's probably like no one is clean. Yeah, you know, but it really plays until the last possible second the idea of like he might really just be like out to try to find the truth and everybody's being super shady and he's eventually they're going to come together and realize what the truth is and it's going to be robert redford and captain america taking on uh science nazis but no it's not he is turns out he is a science nazi he is a science nazi (laughs) yeah his scene with his scene with bucky is great where he just backhands him yeah. Like, and he's like, listen, like, and that's the, like, the ballsy part of this character. Pierce is just like, you know, he's a bad guy. He's a science Nazi. But when he, like, Bucky, who is, who was taking out all these guards, and Pierce comes in and backhands him. Like a dog, almost like. And it's just like, you will do what I say. And it's just like, that's how, pa- that, it's just a scene that shows like. Straight up comic book villain stuff in a way that, like, really and, plays well. Yeah, and this is this guy's a guy of power and no fear. And yeah. that's cool. And that's like even till the last second Poor Rosa just kills her just for coming oh, back for losing what her a, what a dumb dumb for forgetting I, her phone. I really wish you had knocked. Boom, you're dead. It's just like ah oh, <laughs> She probably oh. wouldn't have said anything, dude. Like she probably you know give like, her a hundo give her a hundo, she would have been fine. <laughs> she would have been fine. She's who knows? Maybe she knew Bucky. Who knows? But um, yeah, there's so much good stuff in this film, and the Natasha and Steve stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really awesome because it does a lot. As much as it does for Steve, it does for Natasha as well. It yeah. like we just know her as you know. Unfortunately, in Iron Man Two is just like she's the eye candy for like Tony and Happy, and then does some cool stuff, and then mm-hmm. she's you know she's a badass in Avengers. We see her be funny. We see her like I love the running. Well, why don't you date her? Like when they kick Stiltwell yeah. off the, the the roof, it's like, what about her with the nose ring? He's like, I I am not ready for that. And I'm just <laughs> like, it's 
Well, and she's still, also so capable. Like she's so like when they're on the run, she knows whatever. She always knows exactly what to do. Yeah. She's really kind of dragging Steve along and like really getting him out of like tough spots. And then that gets repaid later when he saves her life when the when the bomb goes off. And it just like so they have this really great reciprocal dynamic. You would maybe expect like Captain America is the center of this movie, so Black Widow is gonna feel like a sidekick, and she really doesn't. Yeah. It's a really great showcase for her character. It really deepens what we saw in the Avengers and adds new texture to it and also puts her in a new place by the end of the film and where she was like this in in shield she's very or in the Avengers she's very invested in her relationship with Hawkeye obviously but she's also like a company man with shield like she's like trying to tell the other guys like well you just don't know how it is we assess risks and everything else you know but here and so by the end of this movie she's in a totally different place where she's liberated from shield she's realized that like the a lot of what she dedicated her life to was a lot and she has to kind of absorb that and decide to be her own person for the first time and that lets her be a true hero in a way that she hadn't gotten the opportunity to be prior to this and I think that that's just great and it's like so nice that she gets a full fleshed out arc and is pivotal to this movie she doesn't feel like well we're going to toss her in to like add some color uh, in the yeah. way that she kind of is in the other movies and to some degree so it's a really great showcase for her and and that relationship with Steve kind of comes back around and, and becomes pivotal towards the later films as well like you really feel like that relationship is earned in a way that uh, not all of the relationships in these movies are, but I think what brings people to these movies, the Marvel movies specifically, like, yes, there's explosions and there's jokes and whatever, but I think it's like people are invested in these characters and invested in their relationships with each other. And it has that quality that great television has where it's like, we just want to spend time with these people spending time with themselves like it's we want to be a fly on the wall when steve and natasha are just like hanging out eating sandwiches together like it, we still would watch that because we were invested in who these people are to each other and that's not easy to do and most of these movies have a really hard time with it and yeah. this is a great example of of putting in the work to make a relationship like that pay off later and there's two other characters that were just from a brief pick up like maria hill in this one like how they always cut back to her. It's like, you have this much time. She adds, she's this wonderful device to add to the suspense of the end. It's just like, okay, you have 60 seconds. Okay, you have this amount of time. Where are you now? It's always this check-in to be like, oh God, we have stakes. It's not just like, let's marvel at Sam flying around. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And I just like how they used her character that way. Yeah, and she's a little she bit like the... Two guys, just, just, just like, fuck them. <laughs> she does, like, she does. That is true, but... I think she also is a little bit like uh like the video game voiceover character yeah. where no, just like so uh the mission or the mission is like this and uh there's two guys behind you make sure you turn around like, you know like there's a little bit of that to yeah. her role also no, 100%, but i also like <laughs> sam in this like they do a really good job of introducing yeah. him as like and i'll get to more of him in our into in the next segment but like i really liked like like if you knew Falcon from the comic books, he had like real wings, you know, and like this, he's like a pilot and he did all this stuff. And then you eventually find out he was a pilot and he did this and he's very capable of what he does. And he's a good, he's a good addition to the team. And you're like, okay. And he's very likable. So you're like, uh, yeah, I want him on more adventures. Like, yeah. Yes, Anthony Mackie has great chemistry with everyone on screen. He has a really great presence and he's a great addition to, he totally gets what the assignment is for these Marvel movies and he does a really good job with them. And I'm glad that he's gotten to kind of like slowly, well, 
honestly, I think finally expand his role now and now that, you know, we are where we are. But for like this, this movie really sets up some things that then future movies really just kind of ignore for a while. And but it's a good it's a good place for a character to start. And and uh, and yeah, very well cast, I think. For sure. Like, let's go to Infinity Beyond. Sure. So uh, just uh, well, we talked all about like the action sequences and stuff. The one thing I want to talk about before we move on to Infinity and Beyond. Please jump the gun. <laughs> is just this like core dynamic between Steve and Bucky, because it's so important to the rest uh-huh. of this. It's especially important to Civil War, which is coming. But it's so important to just like who Steve is as a person and how much he loves his friend and just like the way in which he handles and that final sequence. Like. The whole thing of like they have to fight and he can't Bucky keeps shooting him. He gets shot so many times (laughs) and he just like and he just will not like he he does his mission. Steve does his mission and then he just throws down his it's so like it honestly makes me cry every time I watch it, which makes me feel very silly. But I just really love these two and they just have such a special bond and I really wish they would kiss. But I get it. They're not allowed to. But, you know, in my heart, they kiss every time. And it just he has Steve's heart. Let's let's. Well, I don't know. I think that Bucky has Steve's heart more than Peggy does. Let's if he had to choose if he had to choose between Peggy and Bucky, and I don't think he would because I don't think Peggy would make him choose, and I don't think Bucky would make him choose. But I think if he had to choose, he would take Peggy. He would take Bucky over Peggy. I think. I think, I think your first answer was the right one. No, he would take Bucky because because he's with him till the end of the line. He's yeah. with him till the end of the line. And he that's the thing. He never got that dance with Peggy, though. When he when he pun- when he punches when he's when he's he throws down his shield and he's like, "You're my friend. I will not fight you." And he's like, "You are my mission." And he's like, "You are my friend." And they and he just like punches him and punches him and they're both crying and it's just so beautiful. And then he saves him from the water and it's like, oh, it's great, man. It's great. I love it so much. Okay. I know that there was like planes falling from the sky or whatever, but who cares? It was just two boys who really loved each other a lot and they just couldn't express it, but but then they could and it was beautiful. And that's what this movie is really about. Also, secret science Nazi is killing people, I guess, but really it's about friendship. I mean, also secret science Nazis, let's be honest. Yeah. But and mostly friendship, you know. It's very true. And trust. Uh, but now let's go to Infinity and Beyond. Yes. Yeah, so where I want to take it first is how none of us like I mean maybe some of us did, but this is perfectly like if you watch Falcon and Winter Soldier and how that ends with Sam as Captain America, it was so blatantly obvious watching Sam from like the first five to ten minutes of him, especially his stuff at the VA. It's like oh yeah, he actually is the perfect person to assume the mantle and not Bucky. Because yeah. he is like a really good person, and he's like he's just like Steve. He really, really is like he believes in the honor and integrity and the and, and the humanity of of being a soldier, and also like the the like doing good and helping your fellow man. And it's just like you see that throughout Falcon and Winter Soldier, but it's so evident here that it's just like oh, duh, like he was the perfect guy. To yeah. be Captain America 2, I will just say, or the second, you know, whatever you want to call him, Cap Jr. It's just like... We don't want to call him Cap Jr. <laughs> that, I'm sure that happened at one point. Uh, but he's the perfect guy to assume the mantle. And it, it's just it's just perfect, especially if you watch this movie and know what you know now. You're like, wow, Sam is the best 
the best, you know, successor of Steve Rogers. Yeah. And I like that, like, the, the way that they meet is, like, just working out on the track together. You know, like, it's not, like, anything flashy. It's not, like... You know, Sam is involved in a car explosion and and Steve helps and then they become fast friends. Like, it's just like, no, there's like people who both have like come back from great, like significant trauma and are kind of bonded over that shared experience despite being separated by many, many generations, you know, and I think that that's beautiful. And yeah, that that bond is strong. Steve's bond with Bucky is strong and will matter in future films. And, you know, other things that are important, uh, there's some, you know, there's a lot of little Easter eggs toward about things that will, like, pop up later. Like, for instance, in the sequence when Sitwell is like, oh, we're going to kill everybody, like, all the enemies of Hydra, like, Bruce Banner, Stephen Strange. And everybody's like, Stephen Strange. And, like, now you watch it, you're like, yeah, Stephen Strange. But it's easy to forget that this movie came out in 2014. Doctor Strange, the film, came out, uh, like, two and a half years later. Yeah. And uh, also, like, Steve, like, Doctor Strange wasn't even cast yet at this point. Like, it was not announced that he was coming. It was rumored that he was going to be in Phase 3, but it was not announced. And so the fact that was, like, the first tip-off of, like, oh, he's actually in this world somewhere doing something. I wonder what he's up to. Um, we also have the file purge where Black Widow kind of, like, leaks all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s secrets onto the Internet. That's going to play a big role in Civil War. Um, it's going to kind of like help kick off the plot of Civil War in ways that I think people sometimes forget. Uh, right. That arm, that army base, obviously, as Bill said, is where Steve got his start. But it's not the last time we're going to see that army base. I'm gonna, we're going to go to back to New Jersey at least one more time before this rewatch is out. So that's also fun. And then, of course, we have our right. mid credits. Well, at least one more time means could be more than one more time. <laughs> well, we also have uh, well, we have our mid credits crossbones. Thing. Oh, sure. Rumlow has a building dropped on him and becomes Crossbone. Uh, I hated how strong the character was. Because I actually like Frank Grillo in this movie. I thought he was, like, the perfect, like, shitty henchman. (laughs) He's great. When he comes back up, we'll talk about it. I think that that is the exact perfect amount of Frank Rumlow that needed to be in that movie. (laughs) We also get, of course, Sharon Carter comes back in Civil War. We get her in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Or do we get her back in Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Maybe Uh, maybe not. And uh, I'm trying to think, is there any other connections to stuff before we get into your final thing, though? Well, and there's, you know, there's the Peggy Carter of it all, right? Steve yeah. gets a scene with her where, you know, she has it's very sad. And actually, that scene was originally intended to be in the Avengers, and they decided to cut it because they felt like it, like, kind of slowed down the pace. And they were like, well, we're just going to put, we have a, a Captain America movie coming in in two years. Let's just put it in that instead. And I think that was probably the right call because that they probably wouldn't have been able to let that scene go on as long as it does if it was in the Avengers movie. And I think that it's worth it to like really get a whole that whole sequence. It's very sad though. It's like, Were you really happy when you saw the picture of Tommy Lee Jones in the base? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's getting the proper yes. respect that he deserves, and that's the least that they could do. I would have liked a flashback, but you know, it is what it is. I know. Were you happy they didn't bring in any of the other Avengers outside of Black Widow? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I would be, I'm always interested to know, like, how Hawkeye could have played into things, because it just feels like it would be one too many people, yeah. but I'd be curious to see how it would go. There is a part of me that feels like if you're telling a S.H.I.E.L.D. story, it's weird to not have one of the 
four main shield characters involved but so that's like the only thing i don't really i like that they make reference to tony stark like helping on the on the project insight without actually showing it like that's a nice little bit of world building that feels real and doesn't really distract it only like adds to the kind of comprehensiveness but yeah that's that's pretty much it i also like i really like the captain orders that cap caps orders sequence where like captain america gives a speech to to shield saying like uh every turns out lots of you guys are traitors if you want to hang out with me my party's going to be over here and then everybody's like yeah cap um it's like really they all die too well not everybody you know the guy the guy who stands up for the very first time he doesn't die he's he's he may or may not uh come back later which is why i'm mentioning it here so the guy on the computer uh may or may not return in a future installment uh but uh yeah so that's gonna do it i'm gonna tell you right now i so i usually take down notes for this for this segment of um like heimdall memorial hindsight quarter because i want to like make sure that i'm talking specifically about this watch and i couldn't take notes on this movie because it was just like so great and i was like i don't there's nothing to say it's all i know i've seen this movie so many times and i love it so much and i'm really glad that we got a chance to rewatch it again and then we got to talk about it so bill do you have any final thoughts on the winter soldier specifically or on this entire first set of phase two movies there's clear choices that feige and his team are making in this phase two that are pretty apparent when you look at all of it and there's things that are working and i think there are things that are not working and at this moment in history there was a lot of kind of like can marvel keep it going did was avengers a fluke like can they matt they put it all together once can they turn it into a machine or is it all going to kind of like fall apart and after three movies you know where are you at with that question well, I, before we get into that, we did. Uh, I, I think I might have cut you off. Uh, we didn't talk about the end credit sequence where we get Baron Strucker, uh, oh, yes. played by Thomas Kreischmann, and then we get the introduction of Wanda and Quicksilver. Pietro. Which is huge. Pietro, which is huge. It is uh, huge. Because of obviously Pietro. The era of spies is over. The era of heroes has begun. No, oh yes, yeah, the era of miracles. Era. Yeah, the era. era of miracles has begun. And that 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 scientist he's talking to was also in the movie The Saint, essentially playing the same exact character. <laughs> um, but it's um, but yeah, I mean that's huge. Of course, we yeah. have a whole show with one. But yes. uh, do I think? Um, I, yeah, I remember at the time it was a big question because we hadn't really seen something like this before. Where you know we have seen we had seen that we'd have examples of like a James Bond where. You know, you're going to carry over generations, you know, when you recast Bond, you keep going. But this was we're going to keep these this cast essentially as best we can intact and keep telling these stories. And we have I'm sorry for saying this an end game. Um, so at least we hope they did. So it was very ambitious and it was a big question mark. And I at the time was like, I don't know if they can do it. But looking at it now, Captain America was the movie that proved, in my opinion, that you can tell a whole bunch of stories at the same time and move forward. Whereas the other two films we watched were very insular. They're very their own thing. And they had some slight ties to everything else. But this was Captain America was the one that moved the needle. That was like, okay, we're going forward, and here's a whole bunch of stuff that's happened. And we can tell about four or five different stories in here. And that gave me the faith that they could do it, especially with the Russos. You were, we were told the Russos would be doing more movies post um, 
Winter Soldier, which gave me a lot of confidence. I'm like, well, these guys did such a great job here. I think they're going to do a great job going forward. Yeah, and I think it I think it showed that they were willing to take big risks, right? I think Huge. concern in in 2013 was that they weren't taking enough risks, right? They were kind of trying to double back and tell similar stories that they had told pre the Avengers and make that work. 2014 proved that they could make take big chances and and make big changes to their continuity and they weren't afraid to see where the story took them in an organic way and i think that that they're doubling down on that with their second 2014 film that we're going to be kicking off our episode next month with which is guardians of the galaxy which was a huge question mark at the time and of course has went on to uh, conquer hollywood uh talking tree and all so uh we're going to be getting into that and we're going to be getting into avengers age of ultron and we're going to be getting into ant-man the film that al manorino has been trying to get bill bodkin to watch for uh almost a decade so <laughs> very excited to finally uh check that box uh but in the meantime bill where can we find more of your stuff on pop break and elsewhere on the internet oh there's so many places of course i am the co-host of the socially distanced podcast but before we get to that i am the editor-in-chief of the popbreak.com every we have been doing this since 2009 so we have been here for most of the marvel cinematic universe and we'll continue to cover it as long as we can uh follow us on twitter at the pop break follow us on instagram at the pop break uh as for me like i said co-host of the socially distanced podcast this week we are doing our 100 uh we've just recorded we're going to be recording our 100th episode which alex will be on we're talking about the movie Moneyball. we're gonna have like nine people on at different times doing 15 minute segments talking about this movie then we're going to be jumping right into moon Knight. so the, the week after so we're 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 going to, after a week off, we're, we're heading to the races, of course. Um, you can find all our podcasts uh, right now. I'm going to be co-hosting our Oscar podcast, which is this Sunday, which will be under the Way Too Early Oscar podcast hub on all your favorite streaming platforms, along with Matt Taylor, Marissa Carpico, and whomever. And maybe, maybe me, if I win the Alex, pool. Whoever I'm wins making... our oscar pool this year i like marvel uh am taking a couple of calculated risks in my oscar pool this year so it may or may not pay off we'll have I to did, see i did copy and paste from our, la our last year where people were like there's no sound mixing and everyone like commented in our pool and i just commented back dad's tired leave me alone <laughs> it actually got removed two years ago so this is <laughs> i'm been very tired for a long time man <laughs> so, I work a lot of jobs. Uh, I'll also be doing in a few weeks, I'll be on the Bob Culture podcast as part of my tradition of being on the WrestleMania podcast. I won't have many nice things to say there. Uh, and also, um, try to think. I think that's all my podcasts. I'm very stoked to do next month's. And follow me on Twitter at Bodkin Writes. Great. Uh, I yes. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Media Thinkings. Uh, you can follow our show by uh, checking out thepopbreak.com and clicking on the podcast tab, where you can also see all the other podcasts that I supervise and uh, the other podcasts that I host over on the Pop Break TV podcast feed. I uh, co-host that with a man you guys may be familiar with named Bill Bodkin and also our TV columnist, Josh Cernacki. Uh, we're going to be covering uh, some fun stuff. We're 
going to be this month we're going to be talking about all of the incredible uh television that none of us will be able to watch because there's way too much of it coming this spring there's almost 60 new uh-huh. high profile television shows airing in like two and a half months for some insane reason and we're going to be talking about uh all of that and uh, also the new gary oldman series for apple uh slow horses which uh, we're, we're is uh, another spy uh, story. So if you want to kind of slow spy instead of fast comic book spy, check that out uh, next Wednesday. Uh, but yeah, you can also follow my uh, movie podcast, Cinema Joes, at Cinema Joes on Twitter. Uh, as I said earlier, there is a fun episode that we did last summer all about underrated MCU movies with Al Manorino, uh, where we talk about two of the uh, of the three movies that we just talked about today, we talked about Iron Man 3, we talked about Thor The Dark World, we also talked about uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and uh, Captain America The First Avenger. So you can, uh, if you want to hear more of my thoughts on these movies, as well as my co-hosts, you can check that out from last year. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a, we have a, an episode out now all about The Batman, uh, co-starring uh, special guests Courtney and Marshall Stevenson, who also host blurred watchers over on pop break tv and uh yeah so check that out too if you're into the comic book thing uh in the meantime uh thanks so much we will see you right here same place same time next month with uh guardians of the galaxy agent uh avengers age of ultron and of course ant-man so until then we'll see you later